To Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And mine is Jamie Wenger. Uh, so this is uh, the sixth in our series of essential Marvel by the Month episodes. Um, I mean, let's face it: is is a podcast episode ever really that essential? Um, <laughs> but uh, what these are are uh, very quick catch up episodes. Uh, for those who are coming to the show late um, or kind of want a refresh for our next season, season seven, which we're going to start next week. Um, yeah. So if you don't want to listen to the, uh, I don't know, 11,000 episodes that made up uh, season six, uh, this will give you enough uh, to kind of get started uh, and, and be ready to go for season seven. Um, uh, this season, season six, uh, covered September 1968 to June 1970. In Marvel's publishing history, which when you said twenty three months, yeah. that sounded scarier than just that. That yeah. sounded benign, but right. when you mm-hmm. when you consider by the month, yeah, and twenty three months of comics, twenty three months of comics, and this last season we were doing about two episodes a per month. month. Yeah, so Whoa. which I don't think we're going to do that going forward. That no. was that was a lot. That was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you guys brought in uh, a supporting cast member this season, right? To kind of help, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to say make everything more awesome, but like something, you know, get a little goose. goose yeah, we, goose we, juice. we did indeed. It you. <gasps> oh, it that's you. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, was trying to, I just couldn't put my finger on. <laughs> yeah. I just, I knew it was like someone super handsome. Some flair and, just yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember all those times we lured you into this room and then sat you down in a chair and <laughs> talked at you about Marvel Comics? Oh, that's what that <laughs> that's was. That's what it was. That's oh. what it was. Yep. It's all it's all falling into place. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's take a little trip down memory lane, shall we? Uh, and and uh, talk about uh, what was going on um, in these uh, Marvel stories of ni- September 1968 to June 1970. Um, first, let's, let's start with a little bit of a big picture recap of season six, the main stories. This is sort of like what was happening in Marvel and in the comics industry in general. Um, the first uh, thing I think worth mentioning that I don't know if we really dwelled on it all that much, but uh, Marvel Comics was sold um, like right before the start of our last season. Hmm. Um, Martin Goodman sold magazine management company to <laughs> a, a company called Perfect Film and Chemical Corporation. Man, they really nailed names back Dude, then. That yeah. is a straight up Simpsons joke. It for really sure. Absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, uh, he sold uh, he sold Marvel uh, for probably a fraction of what it was actually worth. Um, I know Kirby thought so. Kirby yeah. definitely mm. thought so. Yeah. Uh, in July 1968, uh, Goodman remained publisher. Stan remained the editor. Um, so it was still pretty much business as usual. 
Um, but uh, because they had a little bit more, uh, you know, financial flexibility, um, they uh, were able to make a new distribution arrangement uh, with Independent News, uh, which was their comics distributor, which was owned by DC Comics parent company. Um, and then uh, a year later, uh, they wound up uh, having a new distribution deal with Curtis Circulation Company, which was also owned by Perfect Film and, Com- and Chemical. <laughs> God, um, oh, stupid so name. <laughs> yeah, this is like, so what does this all matter? The only thing you really need to know about this uh, is that it let Marvel release as many comics as demand would support. So they had been in a position where um, uh, where independent news was only letting them release a certain limited number of, of titles. Um, that went away, and Marvel was once again free to flood the marketplace, which is what Martin Goodman had basically done for his entire publishing career. It wasn't um, quite like um, Disney buying Marvel right, studios right. Yeah, per not, se or Marvel in general, but it was a, a boost that they, they needed for the distribution to, exactly. break, to, to bring in a little bit more. Yeah, because that was that was an issue with Marvel Comics. Like, uh, I mean, there was a point during this season where they stopped doing um, continued stories because there was no guarantee that you know, the same uh, distributor was going to get the next issue on the stands. Right. So um, it's probably was like a little bit of a double edged sword, too, because like if you're only releasing a handful of comics, they're probably going to be pretty great. <laughs> you open up the floodgates a little bit more and like you have a ton of more uh, space to play, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Sure. But you're going to get a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of filler. Yeah. 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 Take, takes a lot of poop to go to roses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that. um Martin Goodman's publishing career was not defined by quality over quantity. <laughs> um, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I don't think that was a concern that he had. Um, nor, I mean, nor Stan Lee in writing. Yeah. yeah. And admittedly mm-hmm. by him right, at that right. point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of related to this, uh, I mean, the big story of the season, the reason that we covered the months that we covered and we ended when we did was the departure of Jack Kirby from Marvel Comics, um, which obviously was a seismic event. Um, you know, Kirby was there from Fantastic Four number one, really defined the look and feel of Marvel Comics. Um, you know, in the early days was basically doing layouts for almost every single comic they published. Like, he was the guy. He reinvented the visual language of comics at that point. Um and the new ownership, uh, they, they saw Stan as the face of Marvel because Stan, very charismatic, you know, good self-promoter, good promoter. Um, uh, and, and they didn't really seem to know or care how important Kirby was to Marvel's success. Um, and, you know, Kirby by this point had also pretty much stopped giving Marvel his best ideas. Um, he, he was angry that Stan had launched a solo Silver Surfer book without him. Um, he had never gotten the contract that would uh, provide financial security for himself and his family um, that Martin Goodman kept promising him and kept promising him and never came through with. Um, man, those pages in the in the graphic novel of the Kirby's life. Oh, man. Yeah. The contract stuff that I, I recommend that to everyone. What What's it called? Do you guys know? Oh, Tom Scioli's uh, Kirby. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. Really, really good. Um, But yeah, I, I, I you know, uh, Kirby's wife, Roz, summed up Kirby's attitude perfectly, um, which was no more silver surfers until Jack gets a new contract. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the same time, DC comics had just had a massive turnover, um, in their editorial. Um, uh, a lot of DC's veteran editors were retired or put out to pasture. Um, uh, 
uh, Carmine Infantino, longtime DC artist, creator of the Silver Age Flash. Uh, he took over as editor-in-chief. He had a lot of respect for Jack Kirby, which is something that was maybe in short supply at Marvel. Yeah, um, it seems that way. And, and, and previous DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, there was animosity in absolutely. the previous editor mm. uh, editor roles Yeah, so, yep. for Kirby. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and Carmine, <clears throat> he... He saw Marvel creeping up on DC. He understood how important Kirby was to Marvel. He gambled that Kirby might be able to infuse some new life into DC, which it desperately needed at that point. Um, and so in, in early 1970, Kirby signed a contract with DC Comics. And in June 1970, the King of Comics left the House of Ideas and would not be back for years. Um, a, a controversial question. Yeah. Do you feel like Kirby is maybe more DC than Marvel? I guess mm. uh, that's a controversial the, like theory yeah like he doesn't strike me as delivering what i think of as marvel comics like despite those iconic looks and like the iconic character creations it's so big mm. it seems so like i mean godly you know obviously springs to mind mm-hmm. like that's not really the marvel hook like so it like him moving to dc feels like it makes perfect sense it's mm. interesting i almost wonder if like that perception is kind of shaped uh, shaped by Kirby going to DC huh. where it's like he is what sort of made DC feel whoa mythic, okay you know like I mean he gave them dark side he gave them yeah know, the new gods he you know before that it was like you know what Superman fighting the toy man you know like <laughs> not that that's not uh, you know. <laughs> no I mean obviously you know legends and epics will be written about that for <laughs> millennia to come but um, yeah I still think though he created almost every character that still exists to this day yeah. uh, that is the core of the Marvel universe. So, right. Um, you know, he created a, a pantheon of characters for Marvel that right. is Marvel um, other than Spider-Man and Dr. Strange and a handful of others, huh? You know, um, or he co-created, I should say, mm-hmm. but uh, so, yeah, it's a tough, if you, it just it's like an interesting thought experiment to like a like where does this guy belong like what yeah. mm-hmm. but if if he's kind of defining what those two what these two entities are in the yeah. first place that like changes the equation yeah he kind of he came into and made and expanded DC but he made Marvel right um, right you mm-hmm. know yeah. that's and I don't I don't I don't even feel like I'm it's an argument like he he, <laughs> no, he created yeah, he did the thing yeah. every character you see in the movies and tv and whatever else you know um basically rob is saying he's not even going to entertain this line of questioning <laughs> any further humbug <laughs> <laughs> no i but i think it's you know i i think dc had a reputation for being very stodgy um it, it was like a, a lot of dc stories at the time were sort of they were like they the heroes were clever um but you know, in Marvel comics, it was, you know, the thing punching the Hulk through a wall, you know, like right. it was just like constant clash of, you know, like throwing guys at guys. Dynamism. Like, yeah. 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 Huh. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, his influence, like Jack rewrote comics, um, I think is, is, is fair to say. Um, and I think anyone who, who denied that uh, at the time either wound up not working in comics or grudgingly came to accept yeah. it. And yeah. if they deny it now, they can come at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a fiery beginning to our yeah. new season. There we go. We're sassy. Um, 
The other thing that was going on at this time um, is that, like, it, boy, Kirby could not have really chosen a worse time to switch horses because comic sales were in decline at this point. Um, uh, there was a, a growing sense that Marvel's best years were behind it. Um, talent had had moved on um, from comics altogether um, or, you know, they were no longer uh, as hands-on um, as they once were um, with uh, Marvel stuff. So, you know, Stan was writing fewer and fewer issues each month. He was adopting much more of like a, a, a sort of, you know, editorial role, but also just like he was the public face of Marvel. Mm. Um, but beyond that, he wasn't really involved in, in the, uh, the day-to-day creation of the books. Um, he would stop writing monthly series altogether in the early seventies. Um, Steve Ditko had, had moved on from Marvel several years prior. Um, he was frustrated by a lot of the same issues that Jack Kirby, um, was frustrated by. Um, and, and Kirby, not only was he not giving Marvel his best ideas anymore, he was saving them for someone who would give him a contract. Um, he, he was just becoming increasingly resistant to plotting out stories that he wasn't being given writing credit for, or wasn't being paid for, you know, for writing. Um, and that's and, a double-edged sword too, because yeah. he's, he's demanding to get writing credit, but he's also half phoning in things because he's trying not to create yeah. another yeah, right. thing. So he's, you know, he's like watching a Star Trek episode and then, uh, <laughs> and then a few months later that shows up in the comic, you know, or so, a version of that obviously informed right. by, yeah. um, but so he's not doing his best work. Yeah, but he's demanding to have more control. Right, so, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah huh. it, it, it's 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 really tricky because you know, obviously, if you're not being paid to do a certain job, you shouldn't do that job. But if not doing that job makes the entire product worse, <laughs> right? It's hard then to why negotiate. should anyone give you a like? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's this terrible catch twenty two. And really, I I mean, I really do think that the only option Kirby had was to leave Marvel. Like, I I don't think he could do anything else. Um, unfortunately, um, and you know, uh, and, and so you have like, you know, uh, you got new folks coming in to kind of take on some of these roles. Roy Thomas took over writing a lot of Stan's books. He's writing most of the Marvel line by the end of our sixth season, but I just throwing this out there. I feel like Roy seemed a lot more interested in looking backwards, uh, mm. like writing in Stan's style or like throwing back to the golden age comics that he grew up reading, like that sort of thing, rather than sort of being like forward minded or like really in the present day, like Marvel's supposed to be, you know, the world outside your window. And I don't feel necessarily like Roy had the pulse of that as well as Stan did. Yeah, I agree. Which is odd for how much Roy tried to tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, Like thematically. Yeah. And, and sort of he tried in a Stan Lee way to reflect what was going on uh, in the headlines, but he was also trying. But that was already five years old. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's also like um, the, the idea of to- toxic nostalgia. Yeah. And, which is a weird thing to talk about on a comic book podcast, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially ours. That's okay. I mean, John Hodgman has been a guest. Oh, okay. So I think right. we're allowed. I'm in good, yeah. yeah. I'm in good company. Um, <laughs> like the, obviously that is a thing now that we've had a uh, hundred years of, of, accumulated pop culture. Right. But like that, that toxic nostalgia was essentially a problem. Like 10 steps into doing this is Mm -hmm. wild. That is a wild thought. Yep. This is, I've, I've realized this is what feeds Hollywood obviously. Mm -hmm. And 
and this this was a another or, way or as i call it holly weird <laughs> oh wow <laughs> good job yeah but i i mean the the people who grow up on it um are nostalgic for it and they become the creators and mm-hmm. then they they want to nod to what is happening they also have you know editorial pressure to yeah. um continue certain lines and stories and other things like that mm-hmm. so uh trying to break out is a hard thing to do it and, is well yeah. and when you're getting to this point that marvel's in at this point where you know sales are down and there's sort of this creeping desperation the temptation to just well what was successful before we'll just do that yeah as yeah. almost you know. a panic instinct right sure yeah. yeah yeah it's like we're just not doing it as well as we used to do it we got to figure out a way to do it the way we used to do it better you know right. yeah, yeah. Um, and and they'd already this is the second time superheroes started to slump yeah you know yep. um they'd already slumped after world war uh two yep and you know that was the 50s was terrible yeah for superheroes so right, they right. most things went on a shelf and captain america fell all the way into being like a horror book for a minute <laughs> literally and, uh, fell all the way to hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and and then it just sort of went quiet uh, ish mm-hmm. yeah and then the this big burst in 1961 and so huh. they're just like this is the cycle yeah, yeah you have to what's the, the farming uh fallow it had to lie fallow for a little bit <laughs> yeah right you know like you let some seeds do seed stuff germinate I, i'm not an actual professional farmer oh, no, I know. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know i might you, be confusing you went to an ag college we can tell yeah. <laughs> with the lingo yeah uh it, it, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that i have a quote from our friend tom brevort Ooh. uh that I think references this exactly. Um, something he said was, you know, about this era, comics had always been a cyclical business, and almost everybody in 1971 thought that superheroes must inevitably on, be on their way out again. That's why there was such a gold rush on to find the next big genre. Sword and sorcery looked like it might be a contender. There were a lot of new mystery, which he refers to as watered-down horror comics without much horror. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, war and Western comics being churned out in this period. Uh, But the classic Marvel, Stan's Marvel, was still seen as something of a fad, even by Stan himself. And the common wisdom was that everybody was going to be doing something else very soon, possibly in another field entirely. Hmm. Um, And you see this, like Marvel canceled several of their titles or put them on, you know, indefinite hiatus, um, including Doctor Strange, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Captain Marvel, um, and several others. So, um, you know, they they were looking for the next big thing. because, like Brevoort said, superheroes seem to be on their way out. Yeah, and, and like ye- uh, I'm on, I'm on a ledge here with this, but youth culture hadn't been a thing for that long, right? Right, like Beetle. I was thinking about you today, yeah. like Beatles by the month. Like that, we're we're in like the tail end of Beatles territory, which was like the birth of a lot of like youth culture yeah. things, you know, disposable income for yep. with ch- like children, like before this like kids were playing with like that stick with the hoop right like <laughs> yeah you know, like that everyone had slinkies and that was about it yeah. like well the word like the word teenager had only been a word for been a word for like a decade yeah and it's yeah. like no wonder these people didn't know what they were doing like there's no use case for doing this again you know right. like oh we invented a thing it was tremendously popular it's waning what do we do now like there are answers to those questions now because we've had how many years of doing this yeah but back then it was just like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know, throw something out. Try what we did before. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Howdy doody. The kids like howdy doody. <laughs> yeah. And rock, I mean, rock and roll and and this cycle, the 1961 to 1970, the Beatles, this is the Beatles. Yeah, like, right. This right. is exactly their time. Uh, and this 
changed how rock and roll and pop music i mean they changed pop music into rock music right and, right. uh and they brought forth i mean not that elvis wasn't doing this too but what they brought forth to teenagers and to a specific audience was a different thing entirely. And that's what Marvel was doing, but on a much quieter scale, yeah. if you think about the media. But I don't think that that's a coincidence. Like, I think the rise of these two things, like around the same time and the the end of phase one of these of those two things are like that. That, that makes total sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. The, I mean, we're in Vietnam now. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and and DC felt more like big band music. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, they, right. They, yeah, sometimes still do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I also think it's worth mentioning, like relative uh, related to the um, you know the decline in sales that uh, during this period, uh, comics also went from being twelve cents an issue to fifteen cents an issue, which doesn't sound like a huge increase, but that's a twenty five percent increase. Um, that's not nothing. Yeah. So, what was an allowance back then? Yeah. I, like, I don't even know if that was a thing. Like, yeah. You, honestly. Had, you had to go to war for like three years for a quarter at that point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that may not be factually accurate, but yeah, I yeah. like it a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah I, think it's, I think it's close enough. <laughs> yeah. Find me on Twitter. I'm sure we'll, yeah, we'll work it out. Close enough for this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of a tough time for Marvel Comics. It's sort of a transition period, uh, but there's still plenty of interesting stuff coming out over these two years. So we're going to recap some of it for you after this break. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with more of our season six recap right after this. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this essential episode of Marvel by the Month. We are a 100% listener supported podcast. We get our support from listeners like you who subscribe at patreon.com slash Marvel by the Month. When you subscribe, you get access to our entire bonus feed of content. We're up to more than 25 subscriber-exclusive bonus and extended episodes featuring guests like Mike Allred, Tom Brevoort, Clint McElroy, Chelsea Kane, Matt Fraction, Elliot Kalin, Mark Evanier, and many more. Plus two, count them, two of my performances of original songs by Marvel's <laughs> 1970 singing sensation, Rick Jones. Wait, wait, sorry. Are we trying to get them to subscribe or not? <laughs> I thought we were trying to get them to, to subscribe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're listening to this, uh, to get caught up and you decide to go back and listen to the individual episodes, I strongly suggest dropping a few bucks to get access to the extended versions. Each one has between 20 minutes and about an hour of additional audio of some of the smartest and funniest comic fans and professionals on the internet, including us. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. If we don't say so ourselves, <laughs> uh, our Patreon backers get access to all this bonus content. Plus they're first in line to hear about what we are up to. Um, that includes some special events. We are foolishly trying to plan despite the fact that the world is a garbage can on fire, rolling down a <laughs> steep hill and picking up speed exponentially. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us. We do really appreciate it. Uh, now let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about Fantastic Four, boys. Um, the Fantastic Four was still Marvel's flagship title at this point. Uh, in this season, we covered the last quarter of the Lee Kirby run, uh, which is issues 81 to 102. That is a just a... That's an Alan Moore massive slab of culture right there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I 
I'm not going to say that Kirby was phoning it in. Uh, there was still a lot of good stuff in this run, um, but you can tell he was definitely holding back on creating new Silver Surfers for Marvel. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but still, we got some really good stories in here, um, including uh, Crystal filling in for Sue Richards while she was on maternity leave. And, and like the, 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 she's treated like a different character. Like, yeah, that, that's fair to say, there's right? A, like mm-hmm. there's a. A female character with agency. Yeah. Yeah, some. Yeah, some. I, yeah. It's Let's not, not go crazy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 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 Stan still getting writing. So, yeah, yes. It's, it's, yeah. it's a baby step. And yeah, they could have filled Sue with a silent female, and they didn't always do that. Yeah. And I, the female intentionally, because that's what they that's called. That's, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah the, the gender assignation <laughs> is always like rough, but yeah. that's what yeah. we're dealing with here. Yep. Um, uh, we also got to see uh, the return of Doctor Doom uh, and our first visit to Latveria. Yeah, thanks um, to the prisoner. I was going to say yeah. by, by way of the prisoner. <laughs> uh, we saw uh, Reed and Sue buying a future house in the middle of nowhere that turned out to be a mole man trap. Do you remember that? I, I can picture <laughs> that. I can picture that house, like the uh, inside. Those are such cool panels. It's. Uh, I think my favorite part of that story is if you have ever gone through the process of actually buying a house, like. <laughs> None of this. Like, I, I don't think Stan or Jack had bought a house at this point. Yeah, I I think pe- like buying the Amityville Horror House would make more sense. <laughs> uh-huh. with they the did flags. more due diligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, there's blood in the, coming down the walls. But yeah, you know, yeah, this, yeah. this had more warning flags. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One, it magically appeared. And it looked like a UFO. So, <laughs> right. Uh, Two, there was no record of ownership of it or where it came from. Three, being in it for any length of time gave you a massive headache. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, Reed's like, where do I sign? This yeah. place is awesome. I mean, to be fair, like being in pretty much anywhere for any length of time gives me a massive headache. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just a migraine sufferer. Um, uh, uh, we also saw uh, Ben Grimm uh, being kidnapped and forced to fight as a gladiator on a planet of 1930s gangster scrolls. Oh, yeah. That was worth it. That, yeah. Thank you, Star Trek, for that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the Royal Fisbin. Yeah. The Royal Fisbin game. Absolutely. Uh, we saw the first appearance of Agatha Harkness, uh, who ends up being Franklin's new nanny. Uh, we saw the first appearance of The Monocle. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't remember The Monocle. The monocle was a guy he with looks, a monocle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm picturing it. Looks and like Doctor Faustus, sort of a Van Dyke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was his uh, What was his deal? He had a camera that was secretly a ray gun, right? Is yeah. This right? And he was yeah. going to like assassinate someone at the UN. Yep. Whoa. Uh, he was a one and done. Really. It's okay. Not, it's yeah. more like the the the, the Miracle Man. Yeah. Uh, or. Huh. Yeah, maybe maybe that was a drunk episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, so we did that one. I don't think you were on the Heinz Brothers episode. So oh, okay. that's the one we recorded with them. Oh yeah, yeah right, right. We're overlap. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yes. Um, we saw uh, the secret story of how the Fantastic Four saved the first moon landing from a Cree trap. <laughs> um, very topical. Uh, we saw uh, Johnny Storm losing his mind and trying to burn the inhuman <laughs> secret city of Adelaide to the ground. That uh, for anyone who hasn't read that issue, like I, it changed the way I looked at Johnny Storm forever. Like, yeah. Anytime I see him now, I'm just like, you're just a. Bad and it confirmed everything Noah Campbell has ever yep. said about Johnny Storm. Hundred <laughs> percent. He was right. We got to make a Noah was right bad. <laughs> um, and and uh, Fantastic Four was the first Marvel series to hit 100 consecutive episodes under a single title, hey. which is like, that's a pretty decent milestone. Mm-hmm. They didn't quite know what to do with it. I mean, they didn't have right. the talent or the resources. I mean, talent meaning like number of people, not amount of talent. Uh, 
they didn't have enough you know people to make a bigger issue of it right um or you know they and they wouldn't have increased the price of it because that would have you know brought down sales but <laughs> um yeah so uh, they just kind of slapped a hundred on the cover and <laughs> and went about their day um man if only they had continued to do that uh with hundred issues you know like all the anniversary <laughs> issues like we probably could have yeah not, not gone that route now you get a double-sized 25th issue i don't need the hologram cover yeah 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 yep uh, but yeah, and th- there were also like some, I don't know, some things that stood out to me, like how it took Stan 13 months to come up with a name for Franklin Richards. <laughs> and then the name he came up with was Franklin. <laughs> it's like he's just named after Sue and Johnny's dad. Like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 was introduced I... with a name. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you could have. Why, why didn't you have that one in the chamber? Yeah. And and he, he's, the, he's the first baby of the MCU. Right? Yeah. Or MCU. <laughs> of of Marvel Comics, right? Yeah. Like there were no important babies before. No, just a bunch of irrelevant babies. <laughs> <laughs> and probably not another for a while. I think the next one might be. Um, who, would, who would the next one be? Would it well, be? time slows down yeah. a, a lot now. So it's. It's hard to have babies occur. I mean, like, I'm, I mean, Scarlet Witch and Vision had a couple for a little while. <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> was that before Cable or after Cable? That was before, before Cable. Yeah. But then they disappeared because they were just figments of her imagination. Or were they? Or were they? Yeah, I think the um, X-Men really start the weird, the babies from the future and whatever oh, Rachel, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babies from the future. <laughs> Any hooski. We're, uh, it's going to be a bit before we get over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, so this this whole like run of Fantastic Four, uh, it ends on a cliffhanger. Um, so here, here you go. This is your lead in for season seven. Um, the last thing we saw um, in the last issue, we covered 102, which is also Kirby's last issue, um, was Namor and Magneto teaming up. Um I mean, Magneto is manipulating Namor into thinking the FF are trying to destroy Atlantis. Right. Um, and of course, Namor is too hot-headed to figure out that he's being played. <laughs> he just wants to believe the worst about Reed Richards. Um, and so it's also played off as the first time they met, but it's not. They had a, <laughs> a brief team up and falling out in X-Men number six. So really, Namor should have known better. But, yeah. you know, he he is uh, he not only is he the the uh, monarch of all goldfish he has the uh, memory and attention span of <laughs> oh, so, nice yeah that's the movie tagline right there <laughs> there you go um but uh rob uh, ah. it, 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 i think we should probably from here transition into uh marvel's you know other number one blockbuster sure yeah title. amazing spider-man whoa amazing <laughs> uh so Spider-Man was also one of Marvel's top books, and I don't know for sure because we don't research, but we think <laughs> it might have actually eclipsed the Fantastic Four sales. Possibly. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've heard Stan Lee say that, but again, that doesn't mean it's fact. So, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> In fact, I feel like if you need to have like Stan Lee, you know, like he's he, you need to have, it's like the riddle of like, you have Stanley and Jack Kirby guarding two doors, and you have to say, would he tell me that this leads to a trap? <laughs> right, right. And then, yeah. Uh, but it was it was still really fun all all the way through. We were happy with this whole run. Yeah. Um, 
even the 45 part story of about a petrified tablet. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> that I guess I wasn't super happy with, but um, yeah. life wasn't ever boring for the wall crawler. And we covered a lot of the stories, the, uh, the classic crisis on campus issue, which featured a weirdly conservative Peter Parker refusing to participate in student protests at empire state university organized by Joe Robertson's son, Randy. Yeah. Do you remember that? Like, Peter is like, I mean, he's trying to like both sides everything. Yeah. Um, that's he's that like, was... maybe the dean has a point. I'm like, who <laughs> right. are you, narc? Yeah, it's yeah. a crusty old dean. Yeah. They're all crusty old deans. <laughs> yeah, he went, he he had said things that were like more uh, open-minded before that. And yeah. then he yeah. just sort of slid into Stan's, why can't we all just be friends? Right, um, right. Yep. So the the kingpin's theft of an ancient stone tablet from Empire State University. Yeah, let's, that's, that's what let's that take led this to. off. Yeah, oh, man, uh, it, which wound up being recovered by Spider Man and given to Captain Stacy, who had it stolen back from him by the Shocker, who gave it to his girlfriend, who had it stolen from her by Man Mountain Marco. <laughs> and uh, honestly, like treat yourself to listening to the Chelsea Kane episode and oh her my God, it's so analysis good. of Man Mountain Marco. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so good. Um, it, but <laughs> Man Martin. Okay, let's get go back one step. So he had it stolen from our who had it stolen. Who gave it to his girlfriend? Shocker gave it, Shocker to, his girlfriend. Gave it to his girlfriend. Who, who had it stolen to, from her by Man Mountain Marco, who stole it for a geriatric crime boss named Silvermane, right. who kidnapped Kurt Connors to decode the hieroglyphics <laughs> on it, which described how to make a potion of eternal youth, which turned Silvermane into a young man, then a child, then a baby, then a zygote, then a zygote when he drank it. <laughs> yeah. So he just disappeared. Yeah. And that was a... I would have to say, though, the ending of watching Spider-Man watch this guy turn into nothing oh, yeah. mm-hmm. w- was it wasn't worth the whole story, but it <laughs> no, was a uh, few things would be worth the yeah. whole story. But yeah. But I mean, th- it was poignant and, and well crafted. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and you get it really gave you the sense of like, I mean, Peter Parker was messed up coming into that situation. Uh-huh. This did not do him any no, favors. Yeah. 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 I, sometimes I think about the the mental trauma Peter Parker has been through. Oh my God. Yeah. That's uh, a big one for yeah. sure. So then Spidey had to deal with another Kurt Connors lizard freak out and keep the human torch from setting him on fire. <laughs> right, um, right. So he fought with the human torch, uh, which is good because somebody needs to beat him up. Yeah. Um, we also met Hobie Brown, the prowler whose uh, path to costume adventuring paralleled Peter Parker's. That was like, I really enjoyed talking about that issue when the prowler first shows up i think that was the one that we talked to tom brevoort about um and just talking about how like hobie brown really was sort of like he was miles morales version 1.0 yeah you know um like he he was this you know young black guy who he didn't get the opportunities uh that he should have gotten because he was working for a racist boss um and so he decides he's going to prove himself. But, you know, just like Peter Parker did when he got the spider powers, he, you know, tried to you know be a big Hollywood celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked out real bad for him. Um, and uh, same thing with with Hobie Brown. He, he uh, gets on his prowler duds. He fakes a robbery. Um, and while he's doing it, he knocks he thinks he knocks Peter Parker out a window and kills him, um, which 
like absolutely messes him up and like leads him into this great power, great responsibility trip. Oh, it's um, so smart. It's yeah. so well structured. Yeah. Yeah. That I feel like that should have been like one month later, the Prowler comic. Yeah. Book. Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. That, but that was not the time. It, right. Everything about it was set up so so solidly yeah looking back on all of these like a year in review like we're doing um spider-man seems like the book that has its stuff together the best yeah like iron man hits some incredible highs but a lot of it is not great sure yeah like spider-man it feels like they're not only are they dealing with occasionally uh complicated themes and cultural stuff and not doing it awfully like avengers often does (laughs) but like it also has like a formula that is it's like formulaic but not in a bad way like Mm -hmm. it's like this is what a spider-man story is yep and this is how we play with these conventions and and this is the scope of it so we're doing like there is repetition but it's not like oh here's this silly thing we always do again yeah and it's just like it's surrounded spider-man is surrounded by like the best supporting cast yeah the the dimensionalized characters and yeah yeah yeah. i mean even outside of like superheroes and super criminals oh yeah all all the the normal people in his life i mean not that j jonah jameson is a normal person by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) or well-rounded yeah Yeah. no but like at this point in time like why is mj in this comic book like she's not his love interest she's not his girlfriend she's just a woman who is there and like not it, she's just a character in this book but yeah. she's fleshed out and has specific traits mm-hmm. and influence on peter yeah uh, that is still subtle and mild but you can that pays off right you know? right right um but she, she does correctly object to uh harry osborne's fu manchu muscle <laughs> yes. oh yes, yeah right lest we forget yeah <laughs> oh that was <laughs> the be- that was one of the most traumatic things of this whole season but <laughs> yeah. um and and speaking of traumatic, uh, the kangaroo. Uh, oh, he wasn't right, really traumatic, right. but he wasn't. Uh, speaking of the depth of Spider-Man, <laughs> yeah. this is the shallowness. Um, yeah, everyone has an off month. The sure, kangaroo, sure. Um, who's a villain who developed kangaroo powers uh, by <laughs> observing kangaroos. Yeah, and almost destroys uh, civilization by accident by stealing. And then almost accidentally releasing a horribly contagious pandemic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Whoa. I know, a little on the nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then the schemer showed up, oh, yeah. a crime boss with a mysterious beef against the kingpin. Uh, he turned out to be the kingpin's estranged and supposedly dead son, Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, the revelation caused the kingpin to fall into a catatonic state. Yeah. Um, what uh, What happened with Richard? I don't remember him. Uh, the I don't remember what the end of that story was for him. It's just he he re- he's revealed as kingpin's son right he tells him that he he faked his own death and basically dropped out of life because he couldn't deal with the shame of his father being a crime boss so Um, he became a crime boss so he Mm. became a crime boss to get (laughs) to get back at his father and the kingpin like and to his credit he let him go yeah i mean oh oh. he let him go but then like uh i mean the kingpin he, he basically goes into a catatonic state because he he is such a, a committed family man right. in his weird way that like the shock of hearing his son say that he hates him uh, and everything that he stands for and just rejecting him outright just absolutely destroys him. Which again gives us back depth. We have a villain yeah. who suddenly has much more rich character. Right. He's yeah. not evil. Yeah. He's- I think when we were when we talked about that issue, I think we realized that 
Kingpin is actually a better family man than Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh Reed. Yeah. Um, so we also had the Black Widow debuted her new now classic costume in an attempt to take on Spider-Man and somehow steal his powers. <laughs> right. The details yeah. were a little vague. Yeah. Uh, Step three profit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Peter Parker revealed his secret identity to all of his friends while he was sick and delirious, but no one believed him the second time he did this. Yep. Or did they? Right. Uh, right. And then we ended. Uh, we will find out a few months into our next season. Ooh, I'm just, ooh, that's a little tease. A little teaser. So we call it tease. Oh, man. Business. I'm going to listen to some more episodes then. Um, <laughs> and we uh, ended with Dr. Octopus remote controlling his metal arms with his mind. Right. To break him out of prison, and it was almost a hilarious Dr. Seuss issue of just the arms doing what they do. Yeah, yep. that was a weird issue all the way around. Uh, it ended with Doc Ock's apparent death in an airplane explosion, so he probably won't be back next season. Yeah. Uh, like all the other villains we write off every time. <laughs> Tough uh, to lose Doc Ock this early, but, you know, um, it was a good story. It's a good weird story. I love yeah. a good weird story. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah, and I do think the the biggest thing, I think the most interesting thing was the the Prowler Hobie Brown piece from yeah. this. Well, it, and it's it's in the uh, you know right before the end of our season that issue where Peter Parker reveals his identity because he's sick and delirious. Um, he actually gets Hobie to dress up as Spider Man at the end of that issue, um, and you know put in an appearance in front of his friends while Peter Parker is there. To like throw them off the scent. Um, so we get one panel of, of Hobie on a rooftop with the mask off, but yeah. wearing the spider costume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I think about that. I'm right now playing the Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man video game. Mm, yeah. And uh, and the Prowler is plays an important part in this yeah. as his uncle in this universe. But uh, I just keep thinking, man, I wish that would have happened. Yeah. 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 Um, it would have changed uh, so much for so many people even super white weird kids from portland yeah. like yeah. myself to to have more of those kinds of characters right you know yeah, yeah. not right. just in a in a one issue thing or a two issue thing but like a permanent uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you, you can tell like there is you can tell there is a desire and there is an urge to do this like on behalf of some of the folks who were at the company at this point like i mean you see it you see something similar happen in iron man you see something similar happen in captain america it's happening in spider-man and it's like they're really like they're walking right up to the line then they're putting a toe over it it's like can we do this can we do this is 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 the world ready for this you know um it feels a lot like the mcu yeah yeah Yeah, right right uh, where everybody not everybody but a lot of people are excited and some people are offended Mm -hmm. and and those are not people that i I'm friendly with but they are you know they're they're touching on all of these yeah. things and they're they're willing to go there and it just feels like they're taking you know they're they're taking a note from the comics yeah but they're pushing it a little further in a different medium and they're sometimes it doesn't go over as well like the eternals yeah um <laughs> which was has its own problems but we can do a you know bonus episode on <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I actually I prefer, you know, just leave politics out of my comic books, okay? <laughs> oh, I, th- my- I think we've had enough uh, woke lip service uh, for one episode. Uh, let's go ahead and <laughs> take a break. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll continue on with our Season 6 recap of Marvel by the Month. 
want to talk about X-Men? Okay, we can talk about X-Men. All right. Uh, because uh, for the first time, we actually got to run uh, some pretty great X-Men comics. Yeah. yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is because of one guy in particular, Neil Adams. Uh, he drew and co- co-plotted the book with Roy Thomas from issue 56 to 63. Seven whole issues. Yeah. <laughs> but they were amazing. They I were know. so good. Yeah. Seven seven issues that showed you it's like, this could be a real good book. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is what we said. This could be the Bronze Age. Yep. <laughs> this right, is right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there are basically three eras of X-Men that we covered in just the last season alone. Mm -hmm. So era number one is the pre-Neil Adams era, which is issues 50 to 55. Uh, Jim Steranko lasted for two consecutive issues. A new record. (laughs) Yeah, count them one (laughs) and then two. Uh, But they were big. We learned that Lorna Dean was Magneto's daughter for a bit. Maybe, maybe. sure. Uh, and uh, Eric the Red showed up, um, <laughs> the ever-shifting identity of Eric the Red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then Barry, not yet Windsor Smith, drew an issue where Blast R shows up from the negative zone and fights with X-Men, which is a cool little cross-pollination from the Fantastic Four. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At that point, those two books weren't really talking to each other that Not much. at all, no. It's Barry, not yet Windsor Smith's first Marvel work. Uh, it kind of shows a little bit. Mm-hmm. He gets a lot better really quickly, though. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorites that we read, uh, Cyclops and the X-Men get tangled up with a new baddie named the Living Pharaoh. This comes back uh, like in a hundred times in a bunch of different ways and Havoc and his DNA all wound up. Uh, and this is also when Arnold Drake and Don Heck leave the book and Roy Thomas and Neil Adams come on board. Yep. So that's era one. Yeah. Era two is the Neil Adams era, which is 56 to 65. And here we go. In the first issue, the living pharaoh turns into the living monolith, a 50-foot-tall stone giant. <laughs> this is way better than the Batman 66 villain he started out as. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's like so night and day, like when these guys take over. Like yeah. He takes this guy who's basically, he's just a straight-up like costume mobster villain. Right. Um, and all of a sudden now he's this enormous, like, just like world-threatening cosmic you know yeah right right villain yeah yeah, yeah there are the cosmic overtones are immediate and intense yeah yeah the sentinels come back that's huge yep courtesy of larry trask the son of the late bolivar <laughs> bolivar trask and i've been mispronouncing that since i was eight years old yeah well it seems like it should be boulevard yeah, yeah. yep boliviar boliviar <laughs> <laughs> now i'm never gonna be able to pronounce it <laughs> yeah, right exactly. either yeah the Sentinels almost wipe out every mutant on Earth until they discover that Larry is himself a mutant. The X-Men manage to rally and save the day by convincing the Sentinels that the sun is the source of all the radiation that creates mutants. So the Sentinels fly off into space to punch it. <laughs> it's, the, yeah, it's awesome. It's the best. It's like when Kirk tricks the computer in the one of those early you know, yep. Star Trek episodes. Yep. And that's the end of the Sentinel threat forever. I mean, it has to be. They all went into the sun. Yeah. We all saw it. There couldn't yep. possibly be more Sentinels or Trasks lying around. <laughs> no, not at all. And, you know, I mean, they definitely went into the sun. They're not just like hanging out near the sun. <laughs> right. That would be that would be preposterous. Right. Then we get the appearance of everyone's favorite hypnotic energy vampire, Petronidon. Pteranodon. Pteranodon. Yep. Oh, you don't pronounce the P with uh, dinosaurs. <laughs> my Latin, my Latin is rusty. 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, Sauron. Yay. Sauron. Who our, our, our friend Elliot Kalin uh, has maybe the most memed comics panel in existence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, Spider-Man uh, telling Sauron that it's like with your tremendous, you know, medical knowledge uh, and, and expertise, you could cure cancer. And Sauron replies, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> I can't believe that we've had conversations with the person who made that. That is incredible Yeah, to that's me. pretty great. That, that makes the whole thing worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently this dino guy was going to originally be more bat-like, but the comics code objected to him being a bat with vampiric powers. Yeah, it was that combination of things. Right. Like, you can't Two be Dracula. a bat and have a vampire power. Yeah. 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 That's how when I have to dress formally, I use a similar point system. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a, a bonus episode again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll go deep on my <laughs> yep. days of going to Pfizer every morning. <laughs> In a totally unrelated coincidence, a few months from now, Neil Adams heads over to DC Comics and creates Man Bat. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, Marvel. So close and yet so far. Yep. I would trade uh, Man Bat in a second for Sauron. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think Marvel got the better end of the deal there. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, you know, Batman versus Man Bat, that's a pretty compelling comic book cover. It is, yeah. Ooh, one it's, time. It's just a little on the nose. It's a yeah, little on But if you're 10. Oh, oh, oh sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they are well, written for 10. Year I think yeah. the right. first time I saw that, yeah. I was 10. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is the best. Right. Yeah, it's, it's right out of Investigators. Yeah. And, and I mean... The name makes a lot more sense than <laughs> than the uh, yeah than Roy Thomas shoehorning a Tolkien <laughs> reference in, <laughs> which yeah, which should be pointed out. He they they do make oh. a point of referencing that it's from Tolkien yep. in right the comic right. yeah yeah because Roy wants everyone to know he went to college yeah <laughs> and he, he likes fantasy. So then the X Men head to the Savage Land where Magneto has been turning the residents into artificial mutants. <laughs> Man, the yeah. amount of artificial mutants in the Marvel Universe, it's just like the <laughs> constant races of artificial mutants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the X-Men and Kazar team up to save the day, and Magneto definitely, definitely dies in a cave-in. Yep. Oh, yeah, we saw it. We all saw it. Yep. Is that the uh, Hollow Earth era uh, event? Yeah. Uh, yes. There's all those yeah. tunnels. Uh, That's yeah. how they get to uh, the Savage Land, I right. think. Yeah. Just the honeycombed earth that mm -hmm. I think Neil Adams still believes <laughs> <Yeah>. into this <laughs> day. Right, right. That's that's the uh, problematic side. We will not go into that right now. <laughs> but you know, like on the scale of comics creators who believe problematic things, oh, I'll take expanding it. Earth. That is like a one out of ten. <laughs> yeah, bring yeah. it on. Oh, yeah, man. If only. unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, Dave yes. Sim breaks the scale. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, Neil yeah. Adams totally acceptable level of nuts. Yeah, yeah. Ditko's objectivism pretty. Up there, yeah. it's like six and a half, seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hollow Earth is a real victimless crime. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Roy Thomas and Don Heck introduce Marvel's first Japanese super character, Sunfire. Yeah, a story that definitely looks roughed out by Neil Adams, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, you can tell that he started working on it. It's like, I'm not gonna be able to finish this, I'm gonna move on to the next one. Yeah, week. it has yeah. panel layouts that mm -hmm. nobody, not even Steranko could pull off that yeah. neil adams could just do the minute he showed up yeah 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 I, 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 <laughs> oh boy i feel terrible about even saying this but i'm going to it's like no one was feeding don heck genius pills <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> i love you don I, th I think you did some really really good stuff and i'm sorry yes i'm also sorry for the other previous 
I don't know, 70 episodes where I, <laughs> we were a little, we were a little rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so finally, uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams reveal that Professor X faked his death in X-Men 42. Charlie is alive, and he's been preparing to defeat an invasion by the Xenox for the last 25 issues. Is that how you say that? Xenox? Talking Z- of Xenox? Dr. Seuss characters. Yeah, yeah seriously. Xenox is my favorite pharmaceutical. Xenox, <laughs> <laughs> get them by the box. <laughs> Uh, so that's exactly what it does uh, by blasting them with good vibes from all of humanity. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of a neat thing, you know. They just care bear stare them out yeah, of orbit. You yeah, know, the 60s weren't that long ago. <laughs> uh, so that wraps up era number two. Era number three, the post Adams era, starts uh, at issue 66. So X Men doesn't really last too long after Adams leaves. Uh, in fact, just one issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the decision was made to cancel the title due to low sales before Marvel got the numbers in from Adam's issues. Which is such a shame if they had just waited. If yeah, they just Goodman waited. Could but just it, not pull the trigger so soon. On yeah, these but it was just like, I mean, that's, they, there wasn't, there wasn't fast reporting on any of this stuff. Right, you know? right. You it's couldn't like, go to your dashboard and look at the metric. And, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it was like making any kind of decisions in publishing at this point was like steering a battleship. You know? Right, right. Was, and you had to go and like grind the maze into a nice. pipers and print. That was an Egyptian joke. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we all got it. We were just talking about the living pharaoh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Thematic. <laughs> uh, so Adam's goes on to DC to create, as we said, Man Bat, Ra's al Ghul, and does a ton of amazing things. Yeah, including Green Lantern, Green Arrow, mm-hmm. Dead Man, like... Oh, wow. I mean... As, uh, uh, and what he does when he touches all of the other properties of yeah. DC. He changed DC. Oh, he, he modernized oh. Batman. Like, the Batman that we have now is, like, he was the evolutionary step between, like, you know, the 50s, 60s Batman and what Frank Miller wound up doing. Like, he's the one Whoa. who took it back to sort of, like, a noir you know, shadowy character. Huh. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. The final Silver Age issue of X-Men featured them taking on the Hulk to get a techno doodad from Bruce Banner's desert laboratory to save Professor X's life. It was around this time that Marvel realized that the Neil Adams run helped to juice sales enough that they reconsidered canceling the title. But they didn't have any issues in the queue, so X-Men became a reprint title starting with 67. Yep. Total bummer. And uh, it will stay a total bummer until 1975 when things improve. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. yeah. I think they might improve enough to change the whole fortune of Marvel <laughs> Comics. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Um, well, uh, I'm going to jump over to uh, do a little recap on what we saw from Avengers uh, this last season. Because uh, Avengers and X-Men, they're always paired in my mind. Um, they debuted in the same month, um, and they are Marvel's two team books at this point. Um, I don't count Fantastic Four necessarily as a team book. I feel like... It's a family book. Yeah, it, it's mm. a family, and, and don't don't ever confuse a family with a team. Like A, a family <laughs> is what you're stuck with. Yeah. Uh, a team is what you, you know, choose to be a part of or right, not. Right, right. Um, uh, so in, and Roy Thomas wrote all of the issues of Avengers that we covered uh, in our sixth season, and boy is that a mixed bag Oof. um i mean on, on the plus side there is some gorgeous art and a lot of them by john buscema um he's one of my very favorite uh, avengers all-time artists um uh it, it, especially when tom palmer is inking him like as just that is my flavor combination right there <laughs> yeah that's like the the 
version of the Avengers that I think the Avengers are no matter what I say. Yes. Uh, like, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, but but some of the stories, yikes. Uh, <laughs> so I, but let me give you a few examples. Um, oh, geez. So uh, we, we had uh, Henry Pym having a nervous breakdown and adopting the new identity of Yellow Jacket, uh, in which he forces himself on the Wasp before she knows it was him. Um, and once she figures it out, she plays along with his crazy so that he she can get him to marry her. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because it's a man. <laughs> like, it just... Thanks to uh, uh, Katie Pride for, for weathering that that issue yeah. with us. Oh man, that I mean, was tough. She's a, a wonderful person and deserved better than to be dragged into that. <laughs> thing. Um, uh, but she had a ton of insight. I remember listening to that, and I remember where I was when I was listening to it. It's, yeah. a, it's a great episode. Yes, for sure. Um, uh, or you know, a, another uh, Roy Thomas Avengers moment. Um, how, how about the debut of the Man Ape, uh, <laughs> a new Black Panther villain who's a black guy who dresses up like a gorilla? Oh come on! Um, I get, and God bless Ryan Coogler for finding a way to redeem that character in the Black Panther movie. Uh, he absolutely had his work cut out for yeah, him. Yeah, that, that Holy seemed moly. like a hill of sand, but yeah. somehow he did it. Yeah, that was a genius move. Yeah, genius move. Yep. Um, uh, but that's not all. Oh, that's not all. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, wait, right, right. wait. I think I can beat it. Um, I, I think my my personal pick for lowest moment of the Avengers uh, was the uh, Sons of the Serpent story, uh, where it turns out that the leaders of this racist supercrime organization are a pair of TV pundits, one of whom is black and one of whom is white, who are stirring up racial tensions for... I don't know reasons mm. like again Profits? step three I don't profit. Know. Yeah. yeah, like uh, I, I mean Montague Hale, black white supremacist, is maybe the most <laughs> egregious example of well-meaning white guy just does not get it. Yeah, that we have read to date. Yeah. Like it is so far from being on the mark. Like it, it is an attempt to do something topical and relevant that just. I mean, it reads like something like some Jim Crow propaganda, honest to God. Like it's yeah, real bad. If it, if it was done on purpose for humor, it would have been an SNL sketch, right? Like, yeah, it, it's, it's that ridiculous. Here's yeah. the closest thing to apologist I can get. For okay. It. Oh Go yeah. For it. And which I don't want to do, but I, I'm doing it. I'm yeah, already no, in no, it. So, someone yeah. has to, uh, yeah. Uh, I think Stan wrote the original, um, sons of the serpent issue. Right. Or appearance, which was revealed that Sons of the Serpent were <laughs> run by uh, either Asian communist, enemy, Asian right? communist, uh, yeah. but mm. they were parading as basically Klansmen. Uh, so there was a precedent for Sons of the Serpent to be oh um, this for some reason this non-white supremacist, white supremacist or organization. Yeah, the, uh, the, Erica, the Eric the Red of organization. I feel like Roy Thomas was trying to reference that in some way and then modernize it. And then it just fell as flat as anything <laughs> right. possibly yeah. could. But right. see, here you yeah. go. Like the, and this ties back to like what I think is where Roy Thomas doesn't work as a writer in this era is that he's constantly looking back. Yeah. He's not looking in the moment or forward mm. like he's he's looking like how did stan do this i'm gonna do this like stan did it yep and it, that's not the right instinct i mean i I, ta- I think about like uh when we had uh mark evanier on and he was uh talking about uh you know uh when he would read someone you know who's gonna 
you know, do a, a Jack Kirby created character and say, like, I'm going to do Captain America in the Jack Kirby style. And his instinct was, well, Jack Kirby's style is to create a new thing, you right. know, like to take it in a different direction right. entirely. Right. And I right. do, you know, and I feel like Stan also was not maybe not his entire career um, because he certainly like figured out his thing and like got into a little bit of a rut. But like, especially in the early days of Marvel, he was as innovative as anyone. Like he was figuring out different ways to tell superhero stories that totally worked and totally resonated. Um, oh, uh, uh, back to the, my most brilliant moment ever is that <laughs> superhero isn't a genre. Right. Right. It's like, it, it, it's, it's all these other things with a superhero protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, Stan, I mean, the Fantastic Four is the example of super team that doesn't actually fight any crimes uh, yeah. very often Yep, and mostly goes about their business dealing with the, the horrors and body horrors of their cosmic radiation poisoning. Right, right. Um, and with pretty, uh, other than the thing, powers that are just, I mean, including the thing, all their powers are more of a problem to them then it's like the curse of the werewolf. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're more of a right. problem to them than they are a help. Right. Yep. Um, which then gets, you know, sort of brought into the mutant world mm-hmm. and the X-Men later. But he did that in a way that that had not been, been done, done with DC. Mm-hmm. And then he started making a universe that was tied together. Yeah. And those two things, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Jack had something to do with. Yep. But I think the tied universe I, was maybe Stan's crowning achievement. Absolutely. Yeah. No yeah, one agreed. had ever done it before. Uh, that That is like a thing you can say 100% was a Stanley innovation. And you could only do it from an editorial perspective. Like you can't do that as the guy who's in the trenches making the thing. Like, Trying to do a couple pages a day or whatever yeah, yeah, you need right. to be the guy who's sitting back and seeing the big picture well, a holistic know. view of what's happening exactly and so now i just gave stan credit man you know <laughs> wow. stan still deser- uh, but if you don't think he deserves that credit come at me <laughs> <laughs> stan deserves credit stan just you know doesn't deserve as much as maybe stan thought he did um you know in his life or but, jack kirby <clears throat> yeah 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 um but anyway uh so we, I, I beat up on Roy uh, a little bit here. Uh, I do want to say there was some really good stuff uh, in this this era of Avengers uh, that I really enjoyed, like uh, the return of Ultron as Ultron 6, Ooh. which was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, like it had uh, Barry Windsor Smith doing his best, like Kirby turned up to 11 art. Um, God, I remember that grimace that his like smile face like yeah. robot stiff was oh. he floating on an tank, engine thing? yeah the yeah. tank yes. block he yeah. was like a V8 uh, <laughs> with <laughs> the body on the top yeah. yeah yeah it's like just like a crazy like rat fink like, yeah. it's like <laughs> a robot that is a centaur but this it's not a horse it's a giant engine it's, it's not a yeah. horse it's horse power <laughs> yeah oh. TM uh, TM <laughs> Uh, we also got uh, the return of Scorpio from Jim Steranko's run on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which also introduced the rest of the Zodiac, uh, which is a totally silly concept. But, hey, if you need like 12 or 13 guys for your super team to fight, there you go. Smart. Smart Zodiac. Move. Yep. 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 Uh, we also saw the debut of Archon, who is a science fiction Conan knockoff from an alternate dimension who had a crush on the Scarlet Witch. Uh, now, there is some definitely some very iffy gender politics in this one. Um, but I also think that, you know, Roy was pushing hard for the Conan license. Uh, he's a big Conan fan. Um, and I think if he hadn't been doing characters like this, Marvel wouldn't have gotten it. And that wound up being really important for mm-hmm. Marvel. Um 
Uh, and then we also saw it, right toward the end of the season, the de- debut of the Lethal Legion, um, which is a you know a random assortment of supervillains. Um, it resulted in the return of the Grim Reaper in a much better costume color scheme, yeah, which is right. awesome. It also saw the return of the Man Ape, less awesome. Mm. <laughs> um, but you know, I think generally speaking. Um, over the course of this era, there was a trend of the Avengers not doing a lot of avenging as a team. Um, so it was nice to uh, end the season with a, a nice big, like, knockdown, drag out fight, mm. um, you know, uh, where they had like a Masters of Evil type adversary. So, and it is yeah. cool that you, you see a bunch of uh, structure. Like, the Avengers are a very structured team. Yes. They have like official meetings. There's like a doorman who's on duty during certain hours. Like,. <laughs> Which is not like the Fantastic Four doesn't operate anything like that. The X-Men don't operate anything like that. Yeah. Like, it's just like different approaches to teams is is a cool thing. Yeah, it really is. Yep. Yeah, you can see the I, I think there was just a hint of that with Neil Adams um, mm. where the X-Men start to operate as an actual team, not yeah. just with Professor X saying you got to practice in the danger room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, where they're really uh, starting to play off of each other's powers that was the, another hint of the right. future of the x-men yeah you have the beast and, and iceman like they, they do team-ups like it might yeah. not be all however many of them there are in one thing but like you see complementary power sets yeah which all of course reaches to the fastball special and oh, then of course. that's it that's yeah. what teamwork is which we saw the debut of the fastball special this season but it wasn't, wasn't. wolverine and colossus yeah it was, was um Turkey? it was it was hercules? namor chucking hercules yeah yeah right, right. yeah so there you go that's where it came where from. where hercules is like hey what are you oh Ooh, this is a good idea oh, I like as it. i fly flying. at this guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay well uh, so there's our super teams um let's take another break uh refresh our beverages and then continue on uh with our conversation about what we covered in season six of marvel by the month Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's talk about Marvel's main solo hero books, Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. Hooray! Yay! There were two main themes that carried through Captain America in our sixth season. The first was Cap's on-again, off-again romance with Sharon Carter, Agent 13 of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. And the second was Cap's unresolved PTSD about Bucky's death and being frozen for two decades while the rest of the world changed drastically around him. And refusing to get any help <laughs> right, yeah, right, for right. any of that. Like, I think problem number two led directly to all of the problems in number one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah. did try to get help once, but it was right. like, it was, bad. It was a bad guy. Faustus. It was Dr. Faustus. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, you know. It, it makes sense he might not try again uh, right he did learn a lesson it was just the wrong lesson right yeah I yeah. think Peter Parker tried to get some help one time and the room was upside down and it was mysterious yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. so you know our heroes do seek mental health help sometimes but it's always yeah. super villain I mean we we figure that Stan must have had a bad experience at the circus at one point like what happened in that psychiatrist's yeah. office <laughs> yeah. right it wasn't better yeah you no know? um, and he must have been hypnotized too uh, so <laughs> Uh, so this season started out with a very brief run by Jim Steranko, unsurprisingly. Oh, so good. 
which it's were the only kind of run he has. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which were some of the last Marvel comics he ever drew. Uh, by the end of Steranko's short run, Captain America had a secret identity again, which he did. Uh, it didn't really matter because he had no life outside of being Captain America. True. Right. Yep. Um, he broke things off with Sharon Carter when she wouldn't quit her career, so he wouldn't be nervous about her getting hurt. Um, yeah. That still is like I just I to this day don't understand what we're supposed to think of that. Like as the audience, you see your protagonist doing that and you're like, yeah, man, he did what he had to do. Or like as an audience member, you're like, no, don't open that door. Like I I don't understand the perspective of the viewer, like what they were going for. Yeah. Like how it's it's the time. You know, it is one of those things where that was the that was how people behaved and thought to such a degree or at least in that how that's how it was pushed i almost yeah i almost wonder though if like this was sort of like one of the early signs of you know one of the reasons that stan stopped writing monthly books was like like an early indication that maybe he's having a disconnect from his audience at this Uh. point because like i think from stan's perspective you know being a guy in his what mid late 40s at this point um like maybe he just saw that right on the surface as it's like, well, of course, like if your woman won't do what you tell her to do, then, you know, you, you need a woman who supports you, who's, right, who right. backs you, you know, and you know, his, his audience of, you know, teenagers and college students is like, and progressive college students at that. Right. Yeah. Right. You would think it stands still writing the, like, uh, Millie, the model stories or something where, um, or romance stories, I should right. say more specifically, where there's, uh, you know, women with careers and living single lives and yeah. trying to meet different guys to to make sure they. It's always still meet different guys to yeah to find the right person to marry, but it's they're still making a living for themselves and being independent. Yeah. So I know he's got like some of that at least it, whether he believes it, it in it, it mm-hmm. he's still writing it. Right. Um, and like everything about Spider-Man too. Like, it's not like he's got a track record for being like this. It seems like he's like this here. And that's why it feels like maybe something different is being communicated. And maybe it's like a reflection of Captain America being old. Right. That, that could be it too. And, like, yeah. And so like, maybe what he's going for is the audience being like, Oh no cap, you don't have to do this. Right. Times oh, have changed. That, that is nicely apologist for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because cap is holding to standards of a bygone era. Cap cap is Steve is um, yeah. Stan's dad, but that they, that could have been better explained so as not to be just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah. That's the missing piece. <laughs> yeah. The I, not terrible part. Like you could rewrite that and make it better. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I choose to go with your explanation because no, I like that better for the character. Uh, it just, yeah. And, and for like, it makes me think better of Captain America and Stan. Yeah. Like, the character of Stan. Yeah. If yeah, nothing yeah, else. Yeah. Yeah. Reed Richards is still a total. Sure. Dick, so. Reed, yeah. No Reed, argument there. Reed, yeah. it, what, what Reed reveals about Stan is still unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, then the red skull got the cosmic cube back and used it to mess with cap for a while. Uh, <laughs> but and, like real casual, like, right. Like he's just like watching him on TVs and stuff. Yeah, like, just yeah. toying with him um, <laughs> yeah. until cap met the Falcon on a <laughs> Caribbean Island and teamed up with him to defeat the skull. Right. So, uh, yeah. Then there were several pretty forgettable one-off stories against random adversaries like the Scorpion and Mandarin and some extremely generic foes like the Man Brute 
the Cyborg and Android X4. Oh, oh. The Cyborg was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> the Cyborg, he did not look like a he Cyborg. He didn't look like a Cyborg. He had like yeah. a troll hat, like a purple or blue. <laughs> he looked like, like a Tin Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so finally, after another breakup with Sharon Carter, Cap buys a motorcycle and starts to easy ride her across America. Yep. Um, so that that's where we get a more promising look of the future and where we're hopefully heading as we, we get into this next season. Yeah. And, yeah. and like him questioning, like what, what is this American experiment? Kind of like, yeah, it, the cap as the symbol for America is coming back, but America is troubled. Right. And so, therefore, yeah. so is he. And like, and that's, a, that's an interesting premise. Whereas yeah. up till now he hasn't really had a premise. He's just like a guy. Yeah. He's a he, guy who used to be around in the forties and he's back. He's <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But now it's like, he's got something, I don't know what you would say inside, but he's, he's got something like, I guess you could call it like, he's got a Nixon in him. Um, <laughs> and he's just, he's trying to figure yeah. out how to deal with that. Uh, he's trying got, to get that Nixon out. <laughs> I hope, uh, hope he got dinner in a movie first. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, oh. Uh, so then, um, we had Archie Goodwin's run on Iron Man, Yay. which was a lot better than we expected it to be. And in fact, it was the best Iron Man, I think I can speak for all of us, that we've ever oh, yeah. seen. Yeah. Hands down. yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think definitely out of the three of us, I think I'm a, the biggest Archie Goodwin mark. Um, like, I, I have a hard time being objective about the guy. Um hmm. So I really, really loved uh, this. And it's like even there were definitely some slow spots and some weak spots and some, you know, like things that, uh, you know, I choose not to dwell on. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I have really, really fond memories of this entire run. Yeah. We, I mean, the bar was low, so, yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I mean, I have fond memories of Archie Goodwin from DC work and Batman. Yeah. And, um, but, and I was so happy to see him come on so strong and great in, in this Iron Man comic. Yeah. And yeah. again, you know, it is hard to be object. I don't know. It's like to be objective because he's the really Iron Man has been not. It, it's been a slog. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So well, I mean, it, like at best, he's a metaphor for the military industrial complex. It's like it's yeah. hard to get excited about. Yeehaw. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Archie Goodwin introduced some new villains like the Controller, the Night Phantom, and Madame Mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking of, uh, you know that I am a collector of the Marvel Legends action figures. Oh, yeah. sure. They just revealed that the next wave that's coming out um, later this year, the Build-A-Figure is the Controller. What? Sweet. And cool. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, uh, he's been prominent in recent uh, Iron Man stuff. Oh, uh, I nice. can't remember who's writing it. Uh, C- Cantwell, maybe? Chris Chris Cantwell? Yeah, okay. Um, who I think did Halt and Catch Fire at the show, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Controller is like a, he's back, back in the mix. Yeah. It was great. Nice. Uh, Archie Goodwin also managed to work in some horror elements, of course. Yep. Uh, into his stories, which, um, he understood really well from his time writing for Warren Publishing's Creepy and Eerie and growing up as a fan of EC Comics. So if, so if this guy was going to write something about like, say a horse, would you say that horse would be like, transparent or not transparent semi-transparent you'd see its bones of course yeah Yeah. yeah. horse bones more of a skeleton horse yeah Yeah, i would hope (laughs) um so he also spun a few extended storylines that weave through the background of multiple issues and surfaced for some big moments one was tony stark's ill-fated romance with janice cord 
Um, she wound up being killed by the new Titanium Man when Iron Man was obsessed with defeating Tony's romantic rival, Alex Niven, a.k.a. the new Crimson Dynamo. Oh, themes everywhere. Like, yeah. Uh, so interesting. It was one of the first times we saw an actual permanent, meaningful death in a Marvel comic. Yeah. yeah. Um, that wasn't uh, telegraphed, right? Yeah. That, that, was, that, no, that just, came out of nowhere. Yeah, it was really shocking. Yep. Yeah. It, I, it felt like watching The Sopranos or something. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, wait, that character is dead? The first time that happens. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, of course that character is dead. Right. <laughs> yeah. By the end, of course. Yeah. yeah. Did did I start to care about them? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, it they're a... spending a lot of time on this character. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, wow, they're really <laughs> redeemed. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the other big thing was the introduction of Eddie Marsh, an African-American boxer who had to retire from the ring due to injury and wound up immediately after taking on the mantle of Iron Man for a brief while. So we had a black character wearing the Iron Man armor. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the first, uh, w which was the theme we saw across several Marvel titles in this era and, of course, went on. Uh, through War Machine and other things. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So this was sort of planting that flag. He also, uh, Eddie Marsh remained a hero in uh, outside of the armor too, like in the issue afterward, the, not the Firebrand one? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Firebrand. Like, he remained issue. a heroic character at least for a little bit afterwards while even not wearing the wearing the stuff. I think, that, yeah, and I think that was like one of the best stories that we read. Yeah, um, uh, that's Iron Man number 27, yeah. The Fury of the Firebrand. And it was... Uh, if if you want to listen to uh, an episode that it we went crazy over that because yeah. none of us saw it coming to be such a a great thing and it was contrasted against some of the things we were reading from Roy in the Avengers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just it was really nuanced. It was, I, I mean, it, it hit like themes of like civil rights and black equality in a you know in a Marvel comic, which is like you know it's a really it's. It's a superficial way to address these things, but I think like he just really took the job seriously, yeah. and I think Nailed he really it. like yeah. just with the right amount of gravitas and delicacy, like I think he really did a nice job of stitching it all together. Yeah, and uh, you know I've been talking with some YouTube folks lately, uh, and they don't like being quote unquote hit over the head uh, with this stuff. That <laughs> that really irks the folks. <laughs> And like, and he did what, what was most impressive about it was it wasn't, it wasn't so overt, you know, yeah. like it was yeah. really, uh, masterfully crafted. No one was like, there was no straw man, in yeah. it, you know, it's right. like everyone just seemed like a human being. Like there right. were good, uh, there, there were people who had noble motives and there were people who did bad things uh, out of ignorance or obliviousness. And then there were people who were just like out to take advantage, mm -hmm. but no one was like a caricature of a human. Being. There was no mustache twirling. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From yeah. everything we've read, there were a lot of attempts in different ways from Stan and Roy. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of good things from Stan. Yep. But this was by far the, the best reflection of the civil rights movement in a, great way or a thoughtful way that we had seen in Marvel comics probably yeah, yeah. to this point it, it just came off as like like Archie Goodwin was the sort of person who was knowledgeable about this and and had internalized a lot of it you know to the point where he could write about it with a sort of a fluency mm -hmm. um, yeah that, I mean I, I felt like he had to have somebody to bounce this off of that yeah, had yeah. more insight because it, it was just so well done yeah it seemed like something that you could see nowadays, which people don't generally try to take that swing without 
Yeah. <laughs> having so having more input from yeah. the from the disenfranchised groups they're talking about. Right, you know, right. Or representing. And yeah. and often underswing or overswing, you know, yeah. like it just this absolutely. Just and I mean we're nine years into Marvel Comics at this point, and there has not been a black creator on right. any of these books right. so far. There's barely been any women creators, you know. So I mean it's a very homogenous group. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about to change a little bit in our near bit. future in yep. this next season. But yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh well, we didn't mention with the Iron Man, uh that that there was an issue that was written solely by a woman. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, Mimi the Gold. Island. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Mimi Gold got her first uh her first crack at writing a superhero story. I think she had done maybe a couple suspense stories um prior to that, but um yeah i mean she stepped in after archie goodwin had left the book and i think the book was in a bit of a transition place yeah so um she did you could tell she was like a little confined by what they told her to do yep and and probably also was not given a huge amount of time to do it yeah um, but yeah, probably still. an amazingly small amount of time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah but i mean still like yeah it's it's a major deal she's only the second woman ever to write a marvel comic so wow. yeah uh, and then finally, Thor was uh, sort of there. Yeah, verily, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this ye, was verily. Yeah, so Dan and Jack, uh, and Jack probably in some ways literally phoning it in. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I he think, had moved by this point. Yeah, um, and and I think nothing like or no by the end. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. No. No series really emphasized just how disconnected Stan and Jack were at this point than Thor. Yeah. You know, I think there was really just like numerous examples of how they were not communicating in any meaningful way. Yeah. And not coming from like, that's not coming from the readers who know a lot about comics. Like you could Mm -hmm. read this as a casual reader and be like, something's not right. These words do not match match the picture. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was, uh, not only direction directionless and uninspired, but, um, and Stan definitely bears a lot of responsibility um, for the events that led Kirby to scale back his ambitions for the title considerably. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this it's a direct reflection of Kirby's dissatisfaction with all of the mistreatment and oh, being overlooked in so many ways. And yeah. feeling taken for granted. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it was rough to see it happen to Thor. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, it, not that Thor hadn't had some very dumb years of comics uh prior to this it just was it had been moving in a great direction and just started to lose all of its momentum yeah i i I was gonna say that like you know uh i think you can definitely tell some great thor stories but like unlike spider-man this is not a character you can really have on autopilot and expect good things from (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's what we saw yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, um, it's the Silver Surfer problem. Also, mm-hmm. that, like if you got a guy that can do anything with basically no limitations, like what what's your hook here? You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. Um, and it started off promising. We a story that revealed that lame Doctor Blake did not exist before Odin created him as an identity for an amnesiac Thor who he needed to teach a lesson to. Yeah, so, that's great mm-hmm. retro comic. Yeah, stuff. Let's yep. like get rid of that secret identity that had annoyed us, obviously, for uh-huh. every episode <laughs> ever. Um, so uh, from there, we saw a conflict between Ego, the living planet, and Galactus, 
which seems pretty obvious and grand. Like yeah. that's yeah. that's like right. the scale we want for Thor. Yeah, yep. talk about an elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, talk also talk about just like a mismatched buddy comedy. You know, it's like he's <laughs> right, a planet. Right. He's a planet eater. <laughs> what kind of hijinks are they gonna get up oh, to? Man. They're stuck in a flat <laughs> in London. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so then we took a quick detour for the return of him. Uh, him with the capital H who kidnapped <laughs> Sif to be his mate, which was weird. Yeah. Um, this led Odin to send Thor off to find Galactus. And here's where the wheels come off. Yeah. Right. Um, this is also right where Martin Good Goodman started asking for one-off stories when Ooh. I'm sure Kirby had obviously a much grander plan. Yeah. He did. Um, yeah. He wanted to tell a story where it was revealed that the watcher rescued Galactus's former self from a plague ship and restored him to health. So this is what Kirby was planning. But the Voyager had been transformed during his journey through space. And when the watcher resurrected him, he became Galactus, the world eater as penance for unleashing Galactus on the universe. The watcher vowed never to interfere with anything ever again. And so it's never like, did. It's, it's like, <laughs> the different watcher origin yeah yeah um, so that's what kirby wanted to do the watcher yeah. and the galactus being tied together in this way too mm -hmm. like the watcher causing galactus is why the watcher stays out of things right, right. right. But it's, it also explains why when galactus comes to earth for the first time the watcher warns reed like he's involved there oh, it's like yeah. it ties the two of these characters wow, together this is on know? me like i i set this in motion yeah exactly. it's like i can't interfere i really can't interfere i can send your brother-in-law to space to find a thing but right. like i can't interfere right yeah. yeah but in this that makes sense because the reason why he's trying not to interfere is because he created galactus but now galactus is coming so now he's going to interfere yeah, yeah. oh that's great that yeah. makes it all makes so much more sense um uh Kirby had the story mostly drawn when Stan told him that it needed to change because Larry Lieber had already established that the Watchers were an entire race, not just one guy, and their sin was giving nuclear power to a race that wasn't ready for it and wipe themselves out. Huh. Um, That's like pretty prime directive-y Star Trek. Yeah, it's, uh, definitely the Watchers are, That's their motivation is pretty much the prime directive. It's, huh. it's very like, but it's also like I mean, real generic you know, six fifty, sixty sci-fi. You yeah, know, it's like okay. it, it, it is like a you know, it, it's your outer limits twist ending. You know, yeah, like, right, right. Yeah, it, and Kirby's story is so much more interesting, and and the Larry Lieber one is just like, well, this will fit in eight pages. <laughs> and where oh, Kirby man. wanted it to go with Galactus yeah. ending Asgard, and well, that was going to be the thing. Was like, this is how it was supposed to go: is that Thor was going to basically get into it with Galactus and deny him something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the, the gist was, hmm. but in return, like if, you know, for revenge, Galactus was going to come to Asgard and destroy it. Whoa. And that was going to lead to the, the creation gods. of a race of new gods, right. which could have been Marvel's. Mm. Um, so when, when <sighs> you know, when Stan told Jack that Larry had already established this watcher origin. Jack had to redraw a whole bunch of the story um, that Stan supposedly wrote. And yeah, I, I love that. Like Stan gets the writer's <laughs> credit for all this, but it, like somehow what Jack turns in is like not what Stan had in mind. And I'm like, know. come on, man. Uh, so that's just a bunch of, and Stan, I mean, Jack doesn't get paid when that, yeah, he, he works for, 
days on this story and then throws it away and then makes something he doesn't want to make in the first place. Right. Um, and that's pretty much where Kirby stops trying. Yeah. So after that, Thor just goes into reruns with Thor facing a greatest hits compilation of enemies until Kirby leaves Marvel. Uh, the Wrecker, Ulick, Loki, Searcher, and Loki some more. Uh, we left off at Thor number 179, where Loki basically face-offs Thor, and now the Thunder <laughs> God has to figure out how to convince everyone that he's not Loki or Nick Cage or John Travolta. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just a, it's just a sad trombone for yeah. Thor. Yeah, 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 kind of most of the way through, right? Yep. Like, that was not our favorite issue most of the time. No, yeah. it, it wasn't. And, and, like, it still, like, really frustrates me that, you know, to a degree, I understand why Stan put his foot down. He's like, you can't destroy Asgard. You can't, you know, we can't have this much of a status quo change. It's too much. Um, but the idea that, like, New Gods could have been a Marvel property. Yeah, what would that have done? And, and and because also, like, I think DC never knew what to do with the fourth world. And mm. they cut it short and they constrained Jack. And I think... I would like to hope that if Jack had been able to do it at Marvel, he would have just been able to go buck wild with it huh. and really blow it out and just, you know, do everything he wanted to do with it. Uh, and I think it just would have been great for Marvel. I think it would have been great for Kirby and, you know, but that is not the reality we live in. So, yeah. yeah. Man. God, what a, what a, what a, what if story. Yeah. There's your, what if story. I'm going to pitch that. Yeah. There yeah. you go. What if Jack Kirby was just allowed to do the damn thing? <laughs> I, I want Print that whole Marvel unit. That sounds like a whole new imprint. <laughs> yeah, you know? right, right. MK, Marvel Kirby. What if Kirby? Right, right, right. <laughs> I love that. That Yeah, that's it. Well, enough about the hero that is Jack Kirby. Let's talk about the anti-heroes. Mm. Ooh. That are the Hulk and the Submariner. So the Hulk started out our sixth season with more of the same Hulk smash army stuff that we've been seeing since the character was first created. Uh, Stanley was first, uh, was still writing the book until mid 1969. But once Roy Thomas takes over, it starts moving away from Hulk on army action. Uh, this is right about the time when the glob shows up. Yay! Yeah. Glob, glob, glob. Yeah, we love the glob. <laughs> uh, he was Marvel's first muck monster, but not their last. No. Uh, yeah, those issues were wonderful. After that, we get a pretty good Hulk thing fight in a crossover with the Fantastic Four, which is another time where Fantastic Four are kind of stretching their tendrils into other other topics, uh, mm-hmm. other comics. Uh, then the leader and the rhino decide to wreck Bruce Banner's wedding to Betsy Ross by turning Batter into a raging Hulk and getting him to kill Betsy's dad. That's huge. The plan only half works. General Ross survives, but Banner hulks out and wrecks Betty's childhood home and ruins any chance of getting their catering deposit back. Yeah. I also think this is just a pet project of mine that uh, General Ross is never quite the same after this. And we see a, <laughs> a noticeable shift in his posture from here on in. Yeah. He's always lounging. He's chill. He's <laughs> like his demeanor shifts. He I lets don't... his hair grow out a little bit. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. exactly. He's really embracing. He's the... Like life's just too short, man. <laughs> <laughs> a whole can trash your home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Hulk smashes the absorbing man and a new enemy called the Nightcrawler but not that night crawler. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah. Um, I was uh, so bummed. We were all there night hyphen crawler. That's right. 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 Yeah. What, and what a crazy character design that guy had. <laughs> yes. Like, 
half slug, half like muscle man with a crown. <laughs> it's like super weird. <laughs> it's a Herb Trimpy special. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. Uh, so this leads to the sort of return of Doctor Strange and plants the seeds of the Defenders, mm-hmm. uh, which was just restarted this year. I don't know if you guys have checked it out. Yet. Oh yeah, Al Ewing, right? Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's nice. good. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Oh. I have the trade on order. I haven't read it yet. Uh, who wrote that first uh, Defenders? Or not first, but recent? Was it that? That's Fraction, right? Fraction wrote. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. He did a really good it's Defenders so good. run. Yeah. I thought I was the only person on the planet who had read that for no, a while. No, no, he. Uh, he was like calling back to stuff that was like in the deep recesses of fantastic four. Yeah, like, yeah. It is a cool run. Yeah. It was very cool. Uh, it also has those little, like almost hard to read cause they're so small uh, captions outside the boundaries of the page that are, those are delightful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Hulk makes a friend called mogul and then dismantles that friend when he discovers that he's a robot. It was a <laughs> very, dismantles into dust. Uh, yeah, right. Rips, uh, smushes and rips yeah. apart and then it was just, grinds. That was unsettling. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, there was a, there were many panels of unsettling, dismantling and bashing and squishing and uh, it was it it was a one of the moments in comics where I was almost tearful. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like <laughs> Hulk, he still could be your friend. He's an android, but I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Don't keep squishing him. Uh, yeah, both. And, and, like, come on, can the Hulk really afford to be that choosy about who his friends oh, are? Oh my gosh, no way. Yeah, um, yeah, both the Glob and and Mogul. It's Mogul, right? Such yeah, an odd name for what that thing was. I know. Yeah, Mogul. Yeah. Mogul. Because um, he, he's a, like a frozen bump that you ski over. Yeah. <laughs> um, both, yeah, this was the birth of like maybe Hulk needs friends and Hulk is also sad. Yeah. Like we hadn't really seen much of that. And yeah. so this is like kind of a slightly new dimension for Hulk. Yeah. And his emotional palette. I would take a robot friend over a guy who plays a harmonica. Oh, hell yeah. Just saying that. Yeah. Uh, no I, offense to any harmonica players out there. Yeah, but. If you're a robot, it'd be a lot cooler. If you're a robot that plays a harmonica, then call me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting Chuck E. Cheese band, the Chuck E. Cheese band back together. <laughs> uh, Hulk, uh, he fights the Avengers and the Glob again and winds up getting separated from Banner Superman 3 style, which was <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the last issue that we read, uh, which was Hulk 131, he makes a new friend named Jim Wilson. Uh, he gets into a fight with Iron Man before being reunited with Banner. This just happened way too fast. Yep. Yeah. Uh, once again, they're reconjoined. Only Hulk remains, so we don't know yet what happened to Banner. Right. Yeah. That man. If that had been a year-long arc, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Then on the other side, as far as uh, Submariner goes, uh, the early part of our sixth season was all about the Serpent Crown. Oh, which... Right. Yeah. That's Naga? That was still this season? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that thing. Yeah. The Saga Holy of Naga. Cow. The Saga of Naga. If you want to get on Douglas Wolk's bad side really quickly, just bring up the Serpent Crown in any context. <laughs> <there. laughs> oh, my gosh. So the story somehow went on even longer than the Spider-Man Petrified Tablet story, Mm -hmm. uh, which should be impossible because that story had no beginning and no end. (laughs) But anyway, we learned that there's another underwater humanoid race called the Lemurians who split off from the Atlanteans at some point in the distant past. It's like the Romulans and the Vulcans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, Remus? The Remus? Romulan and Remus? They're twin moons. Yeah. Yeah. Twin planets. Yeah. Uh, we also in a Marvel by the month, uh, favorite 
favorite episode. Uh, we got to meet a giant crab monster named Crustatos. Crustatos. <laughs> He's Greek. Yeah. <laughs> so good. He, uh, for anyone who didn't uh, listen to that episode, has crab hands. It's yeah. Like crab hands and crab feet. Right. Yeah. Crab hand feet. Crab, crab toes. Yeah. 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 So if you ever wanted to foil him, I guess present him with a doorknob. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, then, pretty unexpectedly, Namor gets kidnapped into space for a bit and loses his ability to breathe underwater. I feel like that was very fast. Like, that could have been a plot point for longer, but it was only a couple issues, right? Yeah. I think I think Roy figured out pretty quickly there weren't real legs to this story. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. There wasn't a lot of uh, reason behind it or i can't remember what that villain was called like the stranger it wasn't the stranger it was like stalker stalker Stalker. yeah Yeah, yeah. like a cat fish man yeah yeah yeah. he was like a humanoid catfish yeah yeah stalking yeah anyway we read that we sure i I guess i'll uh, mention for the third time um (laughs) in england a stalker (laughs) is slang for erection yeah oh never forget (laughs) Um, (laughs) or please just forget yeah please just forget so uh, because he doesn't have the ability to breathe underwater, this forces him onto the surface where he runs afoul of Dr. Doom in the Latvian embassy. Namor's inability to breathe water is then totally hand-waved away just in time for another Atlantean invasion of the surface world that Namor tries to prevent. That's followed by a guest appearance from Dr. Strange, again kind of layering that groundwork for the defenders. Yep. Uh, we meet Namor's newest nemesis, Orca, the human killer whale, <laughs> and also the human whale killer. Both things uh, apply yeah. pretty, pretty equally. He was created by Dr. Dorcas at the command of Krang. <laughs> <laughs> even Here we come. Oh, no. Uh, the baddies kidnap Dorma as leverage over Namor, but you just know that's not going to work. So then the Orca, Dorma, Dorcas, and Krang story gets <laughs> even more convoluted when Tiger Sharks shows up and declares himself the king of Atlantis. Namor takes care of that business pretty quickly, but it reminds him that Tiger Shark had a sister named Diane Arliss, who Namor is kind of sweet on. Like, she's maybe more sweet on him than the other way around. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, it's a good looking man who just parades around in trunks. Yeah. Abslantis. Yeah. Ever. So the, the Namor Dorma. Diane love triangle winds up being a thing as Namor shows up at the UN and demands recognition of Atlantis, which is another like awesome plot point that should have been a huge thing. Yeah. And our season ended with a few one-off stories involving red Raven, whose name I got wrong a hundred (laughs) times and and will, as soon as it's not written down again, (laughs) it's impossible to remember. You get paid by red Robin every time you make a mistake. I'm telling you, their bacon burgers are just, (laughs) they should excellently sponsor us. Um, so yeah, there was red Raven, uh, commander Kraken. Oh, with the boots, the awesome pirate, you know, the pirate boot man, Mm -hmm. uh, piloting a robot whale of some kind. Right. Yeah. 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 Boat. It was like a, like a Nemo a kind Nemo. of thing. Yeah, with, a little Nautilus action. Yeah. 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 Uh, there were some student protests, and that put Namor on the side of the, the progressive kids. Yep. It's kind of cool. Against for... a giant construction robot. <laughs> right, right, which had an awesome name. Gigantor Destructor. Mechanotron. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something you're, like that. You're yeah. all right. <laughs> Gigantor Mechanotron. Yep. Something yeah. that I'm sure Hasbro has trademarked at this point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Listeners write in. You're also right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Everyone's right. <laughs> the conclusion uh, had a Hercules story from a Kazar reprint comic from a couple months back. It was sort of a weird note to end on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank God that they 
finished off that story because I was just, boy, yeah. edge of my seat <laughs> ever since I read that first 10 pages. I was like, where is this going to go? But, I, I would say Namor is the like the closest to working without working, maybe? Yeah. yeah he's getting, he's, w- that's the thing about everything we've done in this podcast is watching those moments when like Hulk starts to hit the Hulk, the, yeah. the yeah. core DNA that you know is the story. Right, right. But, but like wading through all of the crap that isn't. <laughs> right. Um, right. It's, so it's like we're starting to see these Namor things, like Namor at the UN. Yes. Great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Like, um, do that for 20 years. So we'll love the, it. there is a statistic in baseball called wins above replacement, where if you have like the most average baseball player in the world, okay, uh, if you just put that person in a position in the field, they're worth zero wins above replacement um, because they're, they are the statistical baseline. Uh, okay. 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 I would say that like uh, <laughs> Namor is like minus one win above replacement. <laughs> if you, so close. If you put him in the game, he's going to somehow cost your team a run, <laughs> like, but, but otherwise he's going to, he's going to be solid, not spectacular. And he's going to, he's going to, fail at one point you know yeah so man yeah. i don't i don't usually uh, endorse a sports metaphor but that that was great I, baseball has a statistic for everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, the sti- yeah. that's the thing is once he starts getting you hooked on these statistics is when you get uh, into it it's like, yeah. it's not sports is mad yeah. then i'm like oh <laughs> it's like no no the first one's free it's fine yeah. it's fine final fantasy the main thing to remember the main thing to remember from namor is orca Dorma, Dorcas, and Crank. <laughs> yeah. Orca, Dorma, Dorcas, and Crank. <laughs> we have to do a t-shirt, which is just like, you know, in Helvetica font. Uh-huh. Do, 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 yep, do. Yep. Yeah. I, that's on the list. All right. Uh, well, okay. I guess it falls to me then to wrap up uh, our recap of Marvel's solo hero books that survived our sixth season. Not mm. all of them did. Right. Uh, by talking about Daredevil. Um, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Daredevil is an absolute creep in our sixth season. <laughs> Um, no i'm just kidding (laughs) yeah well you know what let me not keep it as short or as sweet Uh, let's let's really dig in here a little bit um i'm not going to give a recap of all of his stories i'm just going to talk about his uh his through line of creepiness Mm. uh which begins and ends with karen page um so uh she tries multiple times to break off her relationship with matt murdoch for entirely understandable and very good reasons totally reasonable um he keeps backing out on plans that they make together. He frequently disappears in the middle of dates. Uh, he generally behaves like a guy who's keeping a mistress on the side. At least one. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess he sort of is. And that mistress's name is daredevil. Hmm, yeah. yeah. Right on. After an extended tete a tete with a new villain by the name of star Saxon, uh, daredevil defeats him while Saxon is disguised as his old nemesis, Mr. Fear. Oh, right. In a reveal, <laughs> Like many of the Daredevil <laughs> reviews, no one asked no for. One asked for no one really cared about. Coming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, also along the way, Matt Murdock t- uh, he fakes his own death uh, because Saxon figures out that he's Daredevil, and so and and it, it's it's dubious logic at <laughs> uh-huh. best. Um, but with Saxon defeated, uh, actually, I think he dies. Uh, Daredevil tries to rekindle things with Karen, only to find out that she's left New York to go back home to Vermont. Um, while she's there, her father vanishes and a glow in the dark headless horseman by the name of death's head stalks the countryside, but not that death's head, but not that death's head, uh, but on a sweet skeleton horse. Yeah. Skeleton right, horse, right, I would right. say, yeah. yeah, they're, they're at parody. Um, a uh, long story short, death's head is Karen's dad who has had a mental breakdown. Daredevil fails to save him from plunging into a vat of molten cobalt. <laughs> 
And at her father's funeral, Daredevil reveals his secret identity to her as her lover who she still thinks is dead. Oh, my gosh. Oh like my gosh. That man knows his timing. Oh, yeah. Wait, cow. we're not done yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, Karen rolls with this punch. Uh, she agrees to marry Matt as long as he gives up being Daredevil. A reasonable, a yep. reasonable ask. Uh, it, it's, in fact, the same ask that Captain America made of, uh, uh, of Sharon Carter. Carter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was not at all problematic. <laughs> uh, although, Matt, the problem is not that he doesn't want to... The, the problem uh, is not that she's asking him to give up being Daredevil. The problem is that he says, I'll totally stop being Daredevil, and then immediately reneges on that promise. Um, so she breaks off the engagement. So he keeps asking her, uh, <laughs> and she keeps turning him down. Finally, she's had enough, and she leaves New York while Daredevil is fighting the gladiator who's attempting to break out of prison. Karen flies to L.A., giving Matt every chance to stop her, but he's too busy out Daredeviling. Um so after she's gone, oh man, maximum stalker time. Oh, yeah. here we go. Yep. Keeps ramping up. He breaks into her apartment as Daredevil and searches the place until he finds the impression of a note on a notepad. Um, <laughs> not not a note. No. Let's be very clear. He didn't find a note. Yeah. He like did that rubbing, like he rubbed uh like he the impression yeah. of a a note that has been removed. Yes. It just is like next level creepy. Yep. Uh, so he figures out she's gone to L.A. He flies to L.A. and daredevils around. Uh, he calls her friend who she's staying with, who's under explicit instructions from Karen not to tell him where he is. Holy cow. So after he rescues the stunt master from getting mixed up with some crooks, he heads to that friend's apartment, ransacks that one as well, <laughs> finds out she's acting in a TV show. So he heads over to the studio and stalks her for a while until she's stalked by another stalker. <laughs> Who Daredevil beats up. Oh, man. Oh, man. The next day at the studio, Karen Stalker turns up dead. Holy cow. Uh, Daredevil vows to get to the bottom of it. Uh, turns out that the person who's responsible just so happens to be a handsome dude who Karen is developing feelings <laughs> oh, for. Oh, man. And cut to the chase. That dude winds up drowning in a tar pit by the end of the issue. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> that does. You made it sound even worse, which was hard to <laughs> really do because it's yeah. so bad. Yeah. Um, but you know, those were the facts, uh, there, you know, he didn't, Matt Murdoch didn't off the person. I mean, (laughs) directly. (laughs) And the person that was interested in Karen was a villain. Uh, but I mean, still (laughs) Daredevil certainly thought so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is. Uh, I'm going to back out of this. It's like, yeah, it's like when you describe the things that happen, sure, they're going to sound bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> they bad. are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know all of this sounds bad. I know this 18 month string of behavior <laughs> sounds yeah. a little problematic. Wow. So the yeah. summary is Daredevil's a creep. Yeah, yeah, dude. I like, honestly, Daredevil has become a really uncomfortable book to read. Yeah. It, it's, it, I think at one point we had talked about, it's like, oh, if, you know, if Daredevil wasn't a superhero comic, it'd be a romance comic. But like, what's the opposite of a romance comic? <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. Like, it's a creepy, like, thriller stalker comic. I don't know. Yeah. 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 He's not the good guy. No, definitely not. Yeah. Oh, he's a psycho. Yeah. Should we take a break? Yeah. Yeah. Let's okay. take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Shake this off.
Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's talk about the departures and arrivals. So Marvel's superhero titles were in a period of contraction, as we said at the start of this. Uh, so by the end of this season, we had some departures. We had Doctor Strange canceled. Uh, beautiful art um, by Gene Colan, mostly. Mm-hmm. But uh, zero traction as far as an ongoing story and everything felt very same. Yeah, it was just kind of like supernatural thread of the week and it was all very abstract um it didn't feel very grounded in any way i and i i continue to say that that is because there's no supporting cast yeah of of significance yeah Yeah. i mean we did get a name for for clea at some point but (laughs) only took us yeah yeah, it was a franklin style like who's this mysterious lady we've seen for a year or two (laughs) right right um Kids and women don't get names in Marvel <laughs> yeah, comics. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, Doc Strange wound up sacrificing himself to prevent a cosmic evil from invading the Earth. Um, that was where Roy was taking the swing that he needed to like pepper into other comics. Right. Which winds up, um, he winds up being freed by Namor and Hulk in their own books. Uh, because I feel like Roy was just trying to finish that story because yeah. he felt it was so important, but then it did set up the Defenders. Yeah. Um, what's Nick, the What's the ETA on the Defenders? Like how, how uh, it happens it? in our next season? Oh, yeah. wow. okay, yep. mm-hmm. that's cool. Uh, there's a There's a bunch of cool things. It's just a very weird era for yeah. Marvel. Um, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, got canceled. The Super Spy Fad had run its course in the popular consciousness and the book lost most of its steam when Steranko left. Right? Yeah. I mean, he was really the one who was infusing all the energy into that him and, and Johnny Severin before him. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Severin, man, that was, that was great. That yeah. was a huge shift when he showed up and, uh, same with, I mean, Steranko showed up aping Kirby at first, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, being directed. I mean, Kirby was really the creative director Yeah, until Ramita. Yep. Um, uh-huh. But not paid, of course. Right. Sure. So um, then we had uh, the beloved Captain Marvel oh, yeah. uh, canceled. God, he hasn't come up at all this whole time. <laughs> no, yeah. we, we've been recording for 17 hours. Yeah. And, like I forgot the comic existed. We've mentioned Rick Jones about seven times, <laughs> right. but not Captain Marvel. Right. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> only in a Hulk context. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so things seemed like they were picking up when Archie Goodwin was tasked with a hard reboot of the character for one issue. Yeah. Um, Marvel got his classic red and blue threads and, and he and Rick Jones wound up being bound by a pair of nega bands, um, Shazam style. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, it's the opposite problem of Dr. Strange. So Dr. Strange had no supporting cast. Captain Marvel had like a little supporting cast that they leaned on like way too much. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, so when Rick slams the nega bands together, Marvel gets two hours on earth while Rick hangs out in the negative zone, which is like this void. <laughs> just going to get eaten by a nihilist. Or yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Uh, but the declining interest in superheroes wasn't enough to turn Marvel's fortunes around. They'll give it another shot in a couple of years when a fellow named Jim Starlin shows up. Hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, over in Silver Surfer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It never felt like Stan Lee had an idea for Silver Surfer's series. It felt like he had a Silver Surfer story uh, that he kept telling over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the innocent, naive surfer is taken advantage of by nefarious persons. 
He manages to get himself out of the jam, but his faith in humanity is further eroded. He ends the issue plaintively wailing around, uh, <laughs> wailing about the need for everyone to unite in brotherhood or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I figured out the the perfect parallel for like what reading Silver Surfer was like. And if you are a wrestling fan who reads uh, wrestling biographies, you will get this reference. <laughs> so it's like, I know this, I'm talking to a, yeah, that's a, a subset of, a fraction of like fraction seven of a, people right now. Yeah, like, yeah. This Venn diagram like, <laughs> contains like six of us, but um, uh, Brett, the Hitman Hart, who is a famous wrestler from the eighties uh, famously was screwed over by Vince McMahon. Um, and that's how he wound up leaving WWF. Um, and uh, if you read his, his autobiography, um, he just tells story after story about dealing with Vince and every single time it's like Vince winds up. He's like, I, it's like, I didn't feel like it was a good idea, but I gave Vince the benefit of the doubt and he turned around and screwed me. And this happens uh. like 15 times. I'm like, dude, like at one of these points, you've got to put your foot down about something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or just remember what happened last time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, didn't we take a note? This? Dude? I, I felt like that's also a Kirby Stan Lee story, not Stan directly necessarily, but sure. Stan as representative of Martin Goodman and the absolutely Marvel as a company. It's a real, uh, you know, remember Sammy Jenkins moment. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. So, uh, <laughs> the one exception in the silver surfer series to the, the whole, whatever innocent gets screwed over. Um, uh, was the last issue of the series, Silver Surfer number 18, which was the only issue drawn by Jack Kirby, hmm. who created Silver Surfer. Yeah. Um, uh, he may have written it too, but Stan is credited as the writer. So there's no Mopey Surfer in this story. He's tricked by Maximus the Mad into attacking his own evil inhumans in order to set the Surfer up to fight Black Bolt's virtuous inhumans. Um, again, creations of Kirby. Yep. It's a knockdown drag out fight that ends with the surfer vowing to unleash the savage beast within. And it feels like Jack Kirby's letter of resignation, yeah. oddly scripted by Stan Lee. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Like Stan does not realize the meaning <laughs> of the words he's put into oh, surfer's mouth. Yeah. But, uh, but maybe he was inspired by Jack's art. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obvious that like you read the last few pages and it's all just like the theme is just pulsing off the pages. Yeah. Burn the world down. Yeah. You right. know? Like, You've crossed me too many times. Yeah. It's over. Right. Right. Um, Fool me 17 times. <laughs> <Yeah>. Shame <laughs> on me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and thankfully, the last thing that was canceled is not Brand Eck. Oh, my gosh. I like had forgotten that was a thing. Yeah. It, it was. It, I was so sad to see Marvel's very, very good Mad Magazine <laughs> knockoff get canceled. <laughs> the one that I wouldn't even read. I made Brian give any synopsis <laughs> yeah. of it after reading one issue. <laughs> so oh, wow. I, I know this is a season six recap. I think this episode came out in season five, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, go back and listen to uh, the Sean Baby uh, episode where... Uh, he deconstructs the first issue of Not Brand Eck. Yeah, uh, it oh, is right. He a, like an he, amazing. He's like a, he like comedy defines, scientist. Yeah, he like yeah. defines satire mm-hmm. and like he's like this is not that. Like it, yeah, yeah. Like do the math on the definitions of like what is funny. Yeah, and, like this doesn't fit any of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's incredible. yeah. That was great. Yeah. Uh, the things we did get uh, weren't weren't the biggest, but we got Amazing Adventures. 
uh, Inhumans and Black Widow. The first Inhuman story was written and drawn by Kirby and featured the Inhumans tussling with the Fantastic Four after being set up by Maximus. Uh, Gary, and, and the death and, and rebirth of Ben's bathrobe. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, right. Oh, the crucial plot point. A couple bathrobes went through the ringer in this the, the <laughs> last of this season. Um, Gary Friedrich wrote the first Black Widow story, also uh, pairing in this Amazing Adventures, uh, which has the widow getting involved with the Puerto Rican youth movement in East Harlem. It's the first woman-led title that yeah, has yeah. happened. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Astonishing Tales is... Uh, oddly Kazar and Dr. Doom. So they each have a story in it, um, oh, right. which is interesting because uh, mostly for Doom um, getting a, a villain, getting his own yeah, title. Right, right. So Stan Lee wrote and Jack Kirby drew the Kazar story in the first issue, which saw Craven the hunter stalk and capture Kazar's saber tooth Zabu. Was that on the boat? Was that the boat one? The boat one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it, that does seem like a good idea, like Craven and, Kazar makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, And Roy Thomas and Wally Wood gave us a beautifully drawn account of political upheaval in Latveria in the Doctor Doom story, which was the first time, as I said, uh, a supervillain got the headline. Yeah. 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 So, you know, obviously Marvel's being a little cautious with rolling out new superhero titles. Um, You know, they're hedging their bets by doing the split books, uh, which they'd gotten away from. But um, you know, it's, it's cool to see doom get his own title. It's cool to see widow get her own title. And, um, yeah. And I mean, obviously Kirby's not sticking around on Inhumans or Kazar, but <laughs> uh, it was nice to see him actually be able to write his own story in addition to uh, drawing it because, or at least get credit for it. Cause he was basically doing that anyway. Um, so, you know, uh, just kind of, as we sort of bring this to a close, like Marvel was also publishing plenty of other stuff uh, at this time. Like they were publishing, you know, Westerns and war comics and they were publishing, um, you know, like teen humor comics and uh, like what, how did, uh, how did Brevoort describe the mystery comics? Uh, Yeah. Suspense comics. See watered Um, down horror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, we didn't cover any of that stuff. It's not strictly, you know, tied into the Marvel universe as it exists at this point. We did do an episode sampling from a bunch of uh, that stuff with our good friend Joe Keating, um, who is just the best kind of nerd for all of that stuff. Uh, look for the January 1970 episode in our feed if you want to hear more about that sort of thing. Um, but that makes me um, kind of want to just, you know, kind of go around the table here. Um, and just kind of give maybe our final thoughts on the last season or some of our favorite episodes. Um, well, you guys are taking a second to think, um, I just wanted to say like, uh, I think one of the best episodes are the ones that stands out in my mind. Maybe it's, this is recency bias, but, uh, our April 1970 episode, um, for, uh, the segment where we talk about Iron Man number 27, the fury of the Firebrand. I know we alluded to it when we were doing the recap of Iron Man, but, um, I just feel like that was such a solid issue. Um, and I feel like it gave us so much meat to really, you know, like really make a meal of it um, and and get into it and, and talk about like all these little things and big things that Archie Goodwin was doing right in that story. Yeah, yeah. There was there were they were like we, we were able to talk about themes. We were able to like do critical analysis mm-hmm. and we were able to like dissect. Uh, I mean, really, we, we went deep and it was so fun. He yeah. made us feel seem so smart yeah 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 Yeah. which is not easy to do (laughs) no no, as as listeners to our show will know (laughs) yeah Yeah. another hill of sand um (laughs) the yeah this this was i mean we were 
we knew we were starting to enjoy Iron Man, mm-hmm. which was weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And we knew it was because of Archie Goodwin telling a story that had a beginning, middle and end. That yep. was how we said the, I think the first Archie Goodwin, <laughs> we're like, Oh, it's so refreshing Whoa. to see this. Yep. But then it, it kept, we started to understand. And I know you were already uh, obviously biased and a fan of Archie Goodwin, but I think for me reading him, writing Marvel at this point, I had no idea what to expect oh, because sure. we've seen a lot of people debut and do a not great job. Yep. And, uh, and he just, it kept getting better. And then this thing took us all by surprise. I feel like, oh, like yeah. we just, we read this issue and we all came together like to, uh, before we even started recording, like, yep. can you believe this Iron Man? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. so that, that episode could have gone an hour longer. Oh, easy. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah, you can tell something's really good when we don't mention it on Slack. Yeah. Like, it was like we couldn't even like say, I mean, maybe it was said like, I'm going to go long on Iron Man. Like, I think that yeah. was like the, yeah. <laughs> but otherwise we couldn't even bring it up because it was just like, if you touched it, we would have popped and just been like, we want to save it all for the mic. Exactly. Jamie, what do you, what do you have to recommend from our last season? Your first full-time season. Yeah, that's right. Damn straight. Yeah. I'm not really built for one favorite. That's not. That's true. That's your thing. I can't even pick a food to eat. I'm just, I'm bad at picking things. So, I mean, I, this season had so much fun, so many fun episodes. And I'd like, as I'm a listener who has now graduated to being on the show, I assume on a long enough timeline, all listeners will graduate to be on the yep. show. And that's how Marvel just, comics work. That's we'll how just, the podcast works. Yeah, yeah. We'll just pack this room full of, full of people. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the Chelsea Kane episode was so good. I listened to it and then I started it over and I listened to it again. And then like the bonus feed, the longer version came out and I listened to that. Like I couldn't get enough. It was so insightful and so funny and so great. Uh, uh, that was uh, March of 1969. Uh, June of 1969, uh, Alana Levin. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. What the brain on that human is just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, her podcast is so fun. I feel like she has 20 of them. But yeah, yeah. Um, that just I recommend anything with her name on it. Definitely check out uh, October 1969, The Torpedo. Uh, <laughs> the torpedo. Yeah, I just thought that was so. We had such a good time, or I—I I mean, it might just it been was, me it thinking was like I was hysterical. dunk festival. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was just like <laughs> it was the worst named and worst themed hero that I think we had seen up to that point, and I don't think we've topped it. It was just ridiculous. I don't know if I can't remember if we made this joke on the show or not, but he really was like the 1960s Marvel equivalent of like. Slipknot from the Suicide Squad movie, the first Suicide Squad. He's like, he's the man who can climb anything. Like, Ten minutes later, he's dead. Right? Yeah, just utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, December 1969, the Dorca Orcus, Dorcas and Dorma. I mean, the comic comic potential. I I was laughing when I was writing my notes. I was laughing when I was thinking about it later. I was laughing while I was trying to say my notes. I just. What a great episode. And then like literally Matt Fraction was on the show. Like yeah. Mike Allred. It's so many. It's just crazy that uh, we get to interact with these people. Yeah. Yeah. And We're very lucky. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable. Uh, well, yeah. Rob, what do you, what's your, what's your choice? Well, it was, it was rough because it would have been Mike Allred hands down, yeah. which Brian almost surprised me with that episode, but I got a little pre-warning luckily. So I didn't just die. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, and not, and, and it, you know, it turns out that this was a hero that I 
loved meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've met him briefly at comic cons, but this was like getting to talk to him and, and was not disappointed in anything about him. Not at all. I I didn't think I would be, but you you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so generous with his time and so insightful and yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, he's part of what keeps me drawing and interested in art and, and comics at all. Right. Right. And he kept me in comics through the late nineties and yeah. in the, in the sort of tough times. <laughs> and, uh, so and what you call like the early seventies Marvel comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but really what my favorite is, uh, the the one that made me want to do cartwheels if I was capable, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. I am no gymnast, uh, was the the Mark Evanier episode, our last Oof. bonus. Oh my gosh. Episode, uh, because as we've done this, we've learned a lot about the creators, and as mm-hmm. I as you guessed by even this episode, I've become quite the Kirby fan. Um, I was already a Kirby fan, but now I understand the the mad genius of that human being. Right. And it was verified by Mark Evanier (laughs) who not, I already, I only knew him as the guy who wrote grew. Right. Um, And, uh, and I love grew. I have a ton of grew. That's not a dig. Yeah. Um, But uh, just like super funny in that book, but then getting to talk to him, he, and understand that he worked for Kirby when he was, he was Kirby's assistant when he was just 18. Um, and he told us stories that boggle the mind mm-hmm. for a time with no internet, the people he met, the people he in comics that he knows and, and the stories he knows about comics, both DC and Marvel. And of course, what he knows about Kirby and what mm-hmm. he could tell us, like things I haven't read in biographies and things he, that hope that I assume will be in his next book about Kirby, but yeah. he has one of the greatest books about Kirby to begin with. Mm-hmm. So um, Kirby King of comics. And it is, it was just delightful. Like Brian and I were texting each other for like an hour after we finished that episode, <laughs> yeah. because we were like, this is why we're doing this. This yeah. is why we're doing this. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, just I, that, that he, he has a million stories. He tells all of them really well. And that he has this, this sense of obligation to like, none of it is, is self aggrandizing. It's not about bragging about who he's met. You know, it, it's about, he feels like it was a blessing for him to have met these people. And it's his responsibility to keep the memories alive. Yeah. yeah. Like a true historian. Yeah. A loving historian. He, and, and, you know, I, so I, I said this to a few folks and like at first I was saying it in, in sort of a tongue in cheek way, but now I think I'm, I think I mean it literally where like after talking to Evanier and this is an idea I had had prior to this, but it really kind of cemented it, which is that like if there, I think if there is any such thing as like a prophet, I think Jack Kirby was a prophet. Mm. Like I think he was like somehow he had some sort of connection to something bigger and greater than himself that he just kind of channeled through him. Yeah. And it was, it was not a conscious thing. It was, it was a, you know, it flowed through him. Um, and he brought it to earth and everyone who, who engaged with him was improved by that. You yeah. Know? Right. Right. Um, at, at the same time with him being a really down to earth yes. human guy, yes. like he was a creator in a, god sense of the word yeah uh and he was just a, a from all accounts and especially 
Mark Evaniers, a just giving and engaged and wonderful person. Yeah. Right. Uh, which, you know, but also just not that not super grand in his, right. you know, mm-hmm. in his ways. Uh, I'd love everything about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then that stands to your point too, where he's just kind of like, like it's coming out of him. Uh, right. He's not, he doesn't think of himself as being so superior no. for coming up with this. It's just, it's flowing. It, I think yeah. I said yeah. this when we were talking to Mark Evanier, but reading Kirby to me growing up, I thought Kirby was like Bootsy Collins or something. Like I mm. thought to meet this guy, yeah. he would have to be like David Bowie. He yeah. would have to right, have like right. this huge, uh, you know, outgoing, this aura. Domineering. That, yeah. And, yeah, 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 like yeah. He would just be celebrity. Right, right. Because he's so giant in what he can create. And to know that he's just such a, Every man, yeah, such put, a working put, every class person. Put food on yeah. the table for yeah. his family was the priority. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's, uh, I, I, it's so that whole point just brought all of this together mm. perfectly as we were talking about this wrap up of this first go, mm-hmm. the whole Marvel, you know, origin, yeah, coming from Kirby and him leaving. Uh, it was just the perfect coda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Coda is the right word. Absolutely. Um, well, it was a great season. Thank you guys so much for helping to bring it to life. Thank you all, uh, listeners for listening to it. Um, I hope you will stick around for season seven because there's a lot of stuff I'm looking forward to, uh, in this upcoming season. Um, let me just tell you about a few of them. Yeah, bring it on. First and foremost, uh, Stan Lee tells the comics code to go fuck themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, for three issues of amazing spider-man and then he's like okay (laughs) it's like we'll put it back on yeah uh but uh that leads directly or indirectly to monsters monsters this is the monster season uh we get the first appearances of man thing werewolf by night tomb of dracula morbius the living vampire and ghost rider um of which i've read none you're zero. You're, you're in going, for such a treat. Yeah. I uh I actually guessed it on the Werewolf by Night podcast and uh, talked about uh, an issue of Man Wolf uh featuring everyone's favorite astronaut John Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh it was George Perez's uh second ever full uh comic that he illustrated. Uh it's brilliant. Uh it's an absolute nonstop thrill ride. Uh it's so many crazy twists and turns. Um, and I just had a blast with those guys. So uh, that should be on their feed by now. The Werewolf by Night podcast. Uh, definitely recommend it. Um, please check it out. Not just because I was on it, but it's just it's really fun. Uh, they're talking about some really cool old 70s stuff. Yeah, their their podcast is great. Also, yeah, like I, yeah, I did. I don't know. But I think maybe you recommended it and I yeah. tried it out mm-hmm. and it, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They're Super wonderful. Fun. Super smart. Um, what else do we have coming up in our next season? We have him becoming Adam Warlock. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, the comic book Captain America becoming Captain America and the Falcon. Yes. Um, we have, uh, debuts of Doc Samson, Valkyrie, the defenders, Luke Cage, hero for hire. Uh, we have the 50th issue of Submariner, the 100th issues of Amazing Spider-Man and Avengers, Captain America's 150th episode, Whoa. and Thor's 200th episode. Whoa. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, and there's also going to be a lot of 
dumb stuff that we're going to make fun of <laughs> yeah. uh, and have a, a lot of fun <laughs> Which doing is it. almost as much fun yeah. as the good stuff. That's yeah. my time to shine. Yeah. So uh, next season kicks off in one week. Uh, and uh, between now and then, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month at the $4 a month level to get access to our bonus feed. Extended episodes, bonus episodes. You'll be the first to know about new stuff coming up. We are looking for Apple Podcast reviews if you feel like doing that. Yeah, I don't know if I if we've, we've announced it on the air. We're up to 70 ratings. Nice. Which is a nice nice round number. Nice yeah. round but, uh, number. I will say it's been a little stable during our off season. Yeah. So I just, you know, I've been checking every day. Yep. But it, it it's going to be exciting once we get on the <laughs> air again and... We need to to give that uh, vim and vigor back to you. Yeah, yes. exactly. Something's been missing in yeah. my, my, my daily life. Uh, and, and if you want some free stuff in the mail, uh, send us a screenshot of your five-star review to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at marvelbythemonth and Twitter at marvelbtm. Marvelbythemonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. So until next week, my name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Mill. And I'm Jamie Winger. We'll see you next week for next season. Bye.